0: Recorded live.
1: me better for these intros.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know you don't have to speak with a better British accent than that. I thought you said Aldi's, which is a, a UK supermarket. Aldi's? <laughs> what are you talking about me being in Aldi's for? Aldi's. Yes. His, um, hearing, his hearing's going, folks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Old, old, um, old. But I never miss a Radio Free Camlin Friday night quiz.
3: No. <laughs>
2: Swap. Hell yeah.
1: <laughs> Perfect attendance. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's see what young, young spry people are in the, uh, the text, ch- uh, the chat today. Or on audio today, at least anyway. Uh, mm, see my mind's going. All right. Joining us at the top of the list is Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello, sir. Hello. Good, sir. Hello, hello, hello. Glad you could make it. Thank you, sir. Also joining us on audio It's the third wheel, but the one that keeps us balanced It's Mr. Randell
0: Thor Hello, hello And why don't I have a perfect attendance on my own podcast? <laughs> do not know, <laughs> sir I do not know That's always amusing, <laughs> but hello, hello <laughs> Hello
1: Alright, let's go to the phones Joining us on the line It's Kobo Hello, Kobo
4: Hey, how are you?
1: Very good, thank you, sir. Very good. How are you?
4: I'm doing okay. That's good.
1: Good to hear. And also joining us on the phone, it's Mr. Cuddly Ken.
5: Hi, Ian. Hi, Dave. I'll be passing out the gold stars later. Uh, For mathematics? For perfect attendance. (laughs) And for watching your P's and Q's, whatever those are. But I I have a question. Uh If you get a gold star for attendance, you get it taken away from mistakes. Oh, mm. no. You get it taken, taken oh. away from Cybermen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you get thrown at the Earth at high speed. Ba-dum-ba. Edric, yeah, look it up.
5: <laughs> Edric and bits and bits and bits. Yes. Alrighty,
1: righty, uh, that's all for audio. Uh, let's see who's uh, lurking under the cone.
4: Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the Cone of Silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the Cone of Silence. What? Do not shout in the Cone of Silence. What? In fact, don't even use the Cone of Silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable Cone of Silence.
3: What?
1: What? What? All right, joining us under the cone. Uh, We've got some doppelgangers. Kobo's under the cone, and Guest 7, otherwise known as Strictly Ken, but the real <laughs> people who are under the cone are Dr. Blanche, Enterprise Who, and of course, 7 and our very own Cybob. Hopefully G 7 can quit slipping out from underneath the cone and out the door. <laughs> but we're trying to work on that as we can. All right, uh, there's only one more person to introduce, and that's the typing monkey. It's news time! <laughs> Go, typing monkey, go!
5: Hooray! All right,
1: first up with news is Mr. Kesley Ken.
5: Yes, uh, first news: Gallifrey 2013 is coming up with the Lobby Con this Thursday, and the convention then starts Friday through Sunday. Now, there are no tickets sold for next year's Gallifrey. At the convention, this is to uh, level the playing ground for everyone to be able to go to next year's convention. That will be done on March 8th at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'll double-check that again later on and confirm with uh, everyone for Cultum. But um, the date is March 8th for buying tickets for next year's Gallifrey. It sold out for this year, uh, but it it took a while. Um, looks to be a fantastic show. Uh, Freema Agerman. I know that just added John Noble from Fringe and a Lord of the Rings. will be doing a special signing on Saturday. And it's going to be a fantastic con. And the special uh, guest of honor is, I know, Darth's favorite. The Seventh Doctor himself, Sylvester McCoy. So I know everyone's going to enjoy uh, seeing Sylvester McCoy at the convention. And that's it for news. Ready. Next up with news is Mister Jar Skeptical. I'm
6: trying to figure out how much uh, a ticket to Gallifrey cost and how much that's been devalued
2: now that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Anyway, <laughs> uh, he's taking
2: a lot of the rings. Lord of the Rings now, his cachet has gone up. Yeah. Have you had, Has it really? Oh.
6: I think that most people agree that he is essentially the Jar Jar Banks of The Hobbit. Uh, oh, I, uh, don't, I don't know that many people who uh-huh. like his performance all that much. But, you know, maybe it's because he's pulled around on a sled powered by bunnies. Spoilers for those who haven't seen it, but my God. Anyway... <laughs> Uh yeah, lots of things that are going on. Uh, first of all, some uh, geekery. Uh, I don't know that hem- I don't know that we've emphasized it too much in our discussions of uh, Doctor Who season seven, but we, you know, had a changeover of costume designer. Uh, now the the person who is in charge of the costume department on Doctor Who is Howard Burden, who uh, previously had done Red Dwarf and. I guess, Invasion Earth. So he's got a pretty good science fiction pedigree within the United Kingdom. You know, I was disappointed to see Barbara Kidd go because Barbara Kidd is just, you know, a goddess when it comes to costume design in the United Kingdom. But Howard Burton, uh, interesting, interesting guy. And uh, if you happen to live uh, in London, then I would highly recommend that on the 20th of this month you go along to the BFI where he's giving a... a, um, a talk about how to do uh, costumes designed for science fiction. And I have to tell you, uh, there've been very few things uh, that I've seen the BFI do with, in relation to Doctor Who that I kind of wanted to go to more. I mean, I honestly, if it wasn't so damned expensive to go, you know, halfway around the world, I would think seriously about doing it. If, if I lived anywhere in the United Kingdom, I would say it would be worth the train ride down to see Howard Burton because he just seems fascinating. And of course, um, he's not giving a retrospective so much as he's you know somebody who's in the middle of his his work with Doctor Who, so that would be fascinating to watch. Good thing to do if you want to celebrate uh, the history of Doctor Who, but do it from the other end, uh, that is the modern end of Doctor Who. So that's one good thing that's going on. Another great thing that's going on, at least great I think, is that finally being human has been put out of its misery, and they've uh, changed the ads on um the BBC, or at least on BBC three for this current ongoing series of, uh, being human. And now it's being labeled the final season. Um, and I guess it's kind of good that it's, and it is getting forcibly canceled. There's no doubt. It's not just, Oh, you know, here we are. and We're not going to renew it. It's, it is canceled. And the good thing about being canceled, I suppose, is that, um, Zy Bennett, you know, is uh, controller of BBC Three, did it in enough advance and out of enough respect for Toby Whithouse uh, that he was able to write some sort of finale for it. So it's not just going to, you know, come to the last episode of the current series and that be it. There will be something of a conclusion, which if you like that show, I guess it's good. And it, I mean, it's good in, in general television terms that the controller of a network would think far enough in advance to say, you know what, this show is really kind of sucking lately, but still, because of what it has done for us in the past, we're going to honor its fans and give them an opportunity to come to some sort of narrative conclusion. So that's great. And then for jumping across to yet another type of, uh, uh, or another area of our fandom, big news from uh, Disney and Star Wars, I guess I should say Disney and Lucasfilm, they're announcing just after they've said, okay, we're going forward on episode seven. Here's your director. We know it's JJ Abrams. Here's your writer. Um, here are the people who are advising the writers. We have this week announcement of uh, two more films beyond five, six, I mean, sorry, beyond seven, eight, and nine that are in development. And the and these films are, I mean, we knew that they were sort of coming, but to be announced right now, before we even have Episode seven, um in production, I mean, in full production, is kind of amazing. And, of course, these uh, additional films will be, I guess you might, you might call them sidesteps, or uh, it's interesting, the language that Disney is using, or I guess Lucasfilm, whoever is in control of StarWars.com these days. is is interesting because they are still using the Lucas terminology Star Wars saga to indicate the numbered episodic films that that supposedly, I guess, are about the the Skywalker family. So we're keeping that intact that there is the saga, and then there are going to be these other films that are set in the Star Wars universe but are one-offs and are about particular characters. And the one that they've announced today, they've said, look, it's going to be written by Lawrence Kasdan, which, you know, how can you heap enough praise on Lawrence Kasdan? I mean, he's a guy who gave gave, uh, rewrites to episode five, to episode six to, um, you know, and and also was credited writer for Raiders and, you know, virtually everything that Kathleen Kennedy and George Lucas and a lot that Steven Spielberg have done has had something to do with Lawrence Kasdan, multi Oscar winner. So he is in charge of writing solely writing this, Film which has no name. It doesn't. We don't know what character is involved. We just know that there is going to be another film besides Episode Seven that's coming out roughly the same time. And what it looks like they're going to do, and this is not official or anything, but what would seem reasonable as to what they're going to do is you're going to have Seven in 2015, and then this other film in 2016, and then Eight in 2000. Uh, whatever that would be, 17, uh, and then you know you go back to it. So basically, alternating between numbered films and not numbered films. Uh, but just the fact that we're going to have a a film that is primarily originated by Lawrence Kasdan is pretty exciting uh, to anybody who loves, of course, Raiders. I mean, uh, Empire Strikes Back. That's just sort of bombshell news. And in a way, it's almost better news than, to my mind at least, um, Episode 7. No word on the director. Oh, and I guess a follow-up thing since we're talking about Star Wars. Um, we we were speculating about the future of J.J. J. Abrams in relation to Star Trek. And that apparently has been clarified by Paramount in that he is still attached to Star Trek. We'll call it Star Trek 3. Um, so he's still with that uh, community for one more movie. Um, but his commitment is as a producer. Uh, so apparently we will still see a little bit of JJ uh, J. Abrams in the Star Trek universe as he bounces back and forth between what's really, you know, the two largest franchises in the world. All right. That's what I got.
1: Dave, you have some news.
2: Yeah. A uh, couple of things. Um First ones related to sci-fi, a couple of birthdays today and uh, there's a slight connection. Well, quite a strong connection in a way. Um, Today, uh, uh, Keely Hawes from uh, Ashes to Ashes, she's 37. And would you believe one of her co-stars, Philip Glenister, is 50 today. Of course, Philip was in both uh, uh, Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes, besides another um, vampire-related show we won't talk about but it's their two birthdays today and um, the other main thing I just wanted to mention for those people who are interested in films in general that's in just about an hour and a half from now here in the UK um, the BAFTA awards will be live on TV Uh, Stephen Fry I think is hosting again this year I won't go through all the nominees but I will put a link in the room to the BBC page where you can check but um Just very briefly, um, the best film choices are between Argo, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. And uh, let's just do the two leading actors ones. Uh, Leading actor, uh, Ben Affleck for Argo, Bradley Cooper for Silver Linings Playbook, Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln, Hugh Jackman for Les Miserables. Uh, Joachim Phoenix for The Master in the Actress category. Jessica Chastain, is that? Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, Marion Cotillard, Rust and Bone. Jennifer Lawrence, Silver Lining Playbook. Dame Helen Mirren Hitchcock. And Emmanuel uh, Reaver for Armour. And uh, all the others are there if people have their favourite ones. Animated film is between Brave, Frank and, and uh, Panorama Man. is it Panorama Man? Of course, I think the, the time's slightly different with the, um, the BAFTAs. I think they go from January to January, not February, late February to late February. So there might be somewhat an overlap with uh, films that uh, make this category that wouldn't make the Oscar categories because of where they fall in the year. So that's um, my pieces of news uh, in. Oh, David. Yes?
5: Ken? I wanted to add that uh, BAFTAs are on BBC America today. I'm not sure mm. the difference between East Coast time, etc., or other time areas, but in Pacific time, it first airs at 8 p.m. for three hours to 11, and then an, and then a repeat. So they're airing it twice today on BBC America.
0: Oh well, that's
2: excellent.
0: Yeah, it's the same time slot eight PM Eastern on BBC America as well. Okay, great. Thanks.
2: Right, well it airs right. nine PM here, which is the equivalent to starting at five PM Eastern fellow time, so you can work out the, the delay factor there. But um yeah, excellent. That's right. it for and me, as I up, say. Okay,
1: <laughs> next up with news is Mr. Randolph Hall.
0: Yeah, I have a, a few items of news. One to, to link back to uh, what Dave – sorry, Darth was talking about there with the Star Wars news with the J.J. J. Abrams. Uh, there was a – over in, uh, in California this week, there was the – there was the – uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm still here. Sorry. Okay. Sorry about that, but uh, – um, over this past, this past week in, in California, um, there was the the Dice Conference. It was a, a game developer conference. Uh, Gabe Newell was giving a, giving a speech. Gabe Newell, of course, is the uh, he he's in charge of Valve, a very popular game developer group, and the group behind Steam. If you if you game on PC, you are familiar mm. with that. But uh, Gabe Newell was there. J.J. Uh, Abrams was also there, and they were they were talking about just various things. And one thing that Gabe Newell mentioned, just as an offhand reference comment, nothing confirmed out of this was, the, the idea was uh, if we were to make movies based on Portal and Half-Life, Abrams would be the guy that Gabe Newell would choose. So, interesting comment there. Nothing confirmed, but just basically just speculation on Gabe Newell's part, the guy in charge of the developers behind those two gaming franchises. Uh, of course, you know, and the, the game on the gaming side, we're still waiting for Half-Life 3, eventually, maybe someday. But uh, yeah, just a, a, an interesting comment there that we might get movies based on Portal and Half-Life uh, directed by J.J. Abrams. So who knows? Speculation at this point. But uh, other confirmed news that I have at this point. Last week I was talking about casting announcements for the Do- Doctor Who 50th anniversary documentary drama that Mark Gaddis is writing, An Adventure in Space and Time. Uh, we had the casting announcements for William Hartnell, of course, being played by David Bradley, who we know best from uh, we may know best from the Harry Potter movies as Argus Filch, and in Doctor Who, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. He played a character in that one, Simon, I think his name was. Uh, but we had some others. Of course, Sidney Newman was also cast. Uh, his casting was confirmed. Brian Cox not to be confirmed with with the with the uh, professor the astronomer uh, an actor uh, we have some other casting announcements here to fill in the fill in the blanks here we have Caroline Ford uh, being being played by Claudia Grant who I couldn't find that much on we have Jacqueline Hill being played by Gemma Powell William Russell being played by Jamie Glover Waris Hussein being played by Sacha Dawan. and Verdi just this was announced today the, who's going to play Verdi Lambert uh, Jessica Raine is playing Verdi Lambert. And the other interesting casting announcement is that William Russell himself will be in this, playing a character named Harry. Hmm. So that's that's all we have for casting on An Adventure in Space and Time, coming up later this year, which I believe is a, is a co-production between BBC America and BBC, what would it be? Uh, Wales. Wales, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what we have for an adventure in space and time casting. It's pretty much all the main cast. I think they they've already started filming. So you uh, you have, Dilly
1: Derbyshire,
0: right? Oh, Dilly Derbyshire, that's what I was that's what was announced today. It was Dilly Derbyshire being played by Sarah Winter. That's uh-huh. what was announced today. But yeah, that's that, that's it for Doctor Who. The other thing I, I noticed this uh a week ago, earlier this week, It was uh, what February 4th uh, this I I remember when when this was originally now announced like a week a year or so ago, but nothing more was said until just recently when pre production on this has has begun. But uh, there is a new version of Thunderbirds in the works. Jerry Anderson's show with a uh, with a uh, yeah with mm-hmm. international rescue. A new version of that is on is being worked on. Uh, it'll be it'll air on CITV in 2015, but pre- pre-production on this has started and Weta Workshop, who you might know from the uh, it's a New Zealander group, you may know them for their work on The Lord of the Rings. They did a lot of uh, design there on The Lord of the Rings movies, but um yeah, The Thunderbird it's apparently the production title for this new series is Thunderbirds Are Go, which is interesting because that was the name of the first movie. For Thunderbirds, if I remember correctly, there were two Thunderbirds movies that followed the series: Thunderbirds Are Go and Thunderbirds Six. But uh, this is the new series; it'll be a mixture of CGI animation and live-action model sets. It's currently in pre-production and set to debut in 2015, which is the 50th anniversary of the, the original series in 65. So, uh, the I'm just glancing through the uh, the, the article here; it has a bunch of quotes from. Uh, people involved, talking about the series, uh, Richard Taylor, co-owner of uh, Weta Workshop, says, Thunderbirds was a hugely in- influential television series. Uh, personally, together with with teams here, looks forward to designing and creating an inspirational world that will engage the imagination of a whole new generation as it did for us nearly half a century ago. So there we go, a new Thunderbird series. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And that's what I have for news.
1: Uh, yeah, I've got... Yeah, I've got a little bit more information on that because you stole my news article, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, Thunderbirds I Go will be executive produced by Estelle, Estelle Hughes for ITV Studios, Giles Ridge for IT, ITV Studios Global Entertainment, and Richard Taylor and Andrew Smith uh, for Pukeko uh, Pictures. The series head writer, which I find is interesting, is Rob Hoji uh, from Generator Rex, Teen Titans, Ben 10, and Slugterra. I'm a huge Teen Titans and Bent End fan, so I'm thinking that's good news. So we shall see. It's it's, it's neat that, that that uh New Zealand's gonna um basically uh is heavily involved with this. But also <laughs> if it ends up being really
0: bad, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna be embarrassed. To be at least they're other, going with proud. a C G I and live at least they're going with it looks like they're going right. back with the puppet route instead of Let's not mention that movie. The Jonathan Frakes-directed movie from about, about a decade ago <clears throat> with live action. Yeah, yeah. In which cast them all as kids. It's like, oh, that was the worst. Yeah. Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. Um, also, a rumor that's been wandering around um, in, in relation to the casting that you just mentioned. Um, it was brought up in... Uh, on, on the Colton Collector page, and it seems to be wandering around somewhere. Reese Shearsmith has been cast as Patrick Troughton, which it just appears to be a rumor at the moment. I haven't been able to find anything to uh, to, uh, to base it on, but it does seem to be floating around a number of message boards. Um, Tim was the one who brought it to our attention, but like I said, yeah, we haven't been able to get anything concrete on that, and so, that, I mean, that would make a, a an interesting point to it, cause then where were they going? Are they gonna skip ahead to the to the very end of, of uh um so we can get to see the first regeneration or you know or is this just you know conjecture from people thinking that oh yeah, he'd be really good if they did and so you know, rumors like that tend to take off. So we shall see, we shall see. Um I'm just trying to remember if I had any other news aside from that.
6: It's <laughs> not entirely plausible they could stay with the um so sort of early, early part of Doctor Who, and involved Trouton briefly. Because of course he was considered for roles before.
2: That's Beca what I was doctor. thinking. I was wondering whether he, he was actually up for perhaps the he was a possible candidate to play the Doctor first one. So perhaps he was no. one of the shortlist, and no, he wasn't. No. No. Just a
6: thought.
2: But he, but he
6: was up for um, what the how was it? Was it the meddling monk or celestial Toymaker, maker? One of those two. He was up for. I think.
2: Uh the one that Peter Butterfield got at the end, I think, yeah. Comedian.
1: I mean who knows? It could be put in there as a very short scene where they like, Well you know, where he comes in and reads for something and that like, well, well maybe we'll consider you for something else in, in the near future. Good luck, you know. <laughs> it could be a little cameo bit, you know.
6: Fun. Yeah. Well, well he was bu- I
3: mean,
6: he was buzzing around you know the BBC all the time at that point. I mean, I'm sure even if you just had him in a scene in the the commissary, that would make sense. It would be logical because he w- he was there, you know, 24 seven kind of. Right,
1: and it would just you know be a nice little thing for fans. People would be like, oh, you know. <laughs> right, um, not sure if we've covered this before, but I'll cover it again. Uh, BBC Worldwide have announced the Doctor Who stories that will be released on DVD in the UK up to September this year, as well as the titles known previously. That this confirms. The inclusion of the colorized third Doctor adventure, The Mind of Evil, uh, the incomplete second Doctor tale, The Ice Warriors, and also the animated 2003 story, Scream of the Shalkeh, which starred Richard E. Grant and a very short-lived online uh, ninth Doctor. Uh, the complete list uh, of dates are as follows. The uh, 25th of February will see the release of the Ark in Space Special Edition. 11th of March, the Aztec Special Edition plus Galaxy 4 Reconstruction, which we talked about last week. Uh, 6th of May, uh, the Visitation Special Edition. 27th of May, Inferno Special Edition. June 3rd, Mind of Evil. Uh, June 24th, Terror of the Zygons. The 15th of July, Spearhead from Space uh, on Blu ray. Uh, the 5th of August, the Green Death Special Edition. Uh, the 23- 26th of August, the Ice Warriors. And uh, September 16th, Scream of the Shalker. So there we go. There's the releases that we can expect to see this week. I mean, this year, sorry.
3: Ah. All
1: right. But, yeah, I think that's all I have. Uh, if, you, if you are looking for some little spoiler pictures uh, of the upcoming um, TV movie about uh, the beginning of Doctor Who, there's a couple of pictures uh, from filming lurking around. One very, very close shot of um, of David Bradley. um uh, which is quite interesting the way they, uh, the way they did it. So, um, and just a couple of other one from an outside shop. There's nothing really very revealing about anything. Uh, uh, an old living room. Uh, so. so, yeah, that's about it. Um, so, uh, if nobody else has any more news. We shall move on.
6: Right. Just a little correction. Uh, Patrick Charlton was uh, supposed to be Johnny Ringo in Gunfighters. That's where that's from. Oh. Ah. But that's a bit late, though. I mean, that is, you know, that's
2: that actually that,
6: that, that's practically the same thing as including him as the second Doctor, really, temporally. So I don't know. I would yeah. classify that as a rumor more than anything. It doesn't make any sense to have him in it. Yeah.
1: Um, oh, the other thing that um, um, I actually thought that uh, that, uh, that Ken was going to bring this up, but uh, today on Amazon.com is. Uh, uh, a, a rather nice deal if you're in the market for uh james Bond um they have uh, the, uh what was it Ken tell me on on this one
5: all right <laughs> it's it's a very very special special it's the bonded fifty uh blu ray d v d set for only one hundred and twenty nine dollars today only just today. And that normally runs for $300. So it's the first 22 films, not including Skyfall, but evidently there is a place within this massive set that opens like a book and goes through the chronological history of Bond where you can put Skyfall into it for continuity's sake later on. Um, But any Bond fan, uh, that's an incredible deal we we we're, we're talking uh we're talking about six, we're talking about $6 per blu-ray uh with all the extras uh added so it, that's incredible yeah, not to be missed
1: i do have a birthday in july
5: if anyone's interested and sky and skyfall does come out on dvd on tuesday so it's very fitting that they're doing it today
1: That's all we have for news. Thank you. Uh, if you're interested in joining the collective, here's how you do it. Take it away, Tiggs.
3: If you
2: enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a U.S. number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed.
4: Looking forward to hearing you. All right, and as,
1: of course, we uh, move into our topic, which is, you know, oldies, who better to take us down that road than our very own oldie?
2: Do you know? Do you know? <laughs> Young whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, if anybody's interested, I just put the link in the uh, chat for the uh, for um, uh, the Bond Fifty on Amazon. If anyone's interested in buying it for me for my birthday.
2: What? That just insulted me. Don't you dare buy him that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Don't
1: listen to him. Don't see him.
2: Okay. That's That's what dissension, apprehension and dissension all about. Um, Our topic, and this, by the way, is a topic voted by you. Yes, sir, just one little plug before we go on to the main topic. and A a little bit of warning. um, Ian suggests, because he insults more than just me, you know, he suggests Mm -hmm. that uh, I may want to go to Ken and Darth early on today's show because uh, they know a lot about old things, so... I'm getting.
3: I'm getting.
2: We'll get
5: yours later, Cooper. All yeah, right. Yeah.
2: No. Uh, so uh, yes, on our Facebook page, there has been a poll going on. In very kindly put up. In fact, two polls put up. One was was about specific programs that we would like to talk about. Very specific topics. And one of those we will be doing next week. Although it may get touched on and alluded to in today's topic. Today's topic is of course. Uh, sci-fi TV oldies but goodies um, next week we will be doing Blake seven uh, maybe we'll be all uh, crying into our handkerchiefs because we're not a galley but we'll be um, talking about Blake seven but the other list uh, is more generalized topics and the the one at the top of the list with the most votes I think with 10 votes was this particular topic which was quoted as uh, sci-fi oldest but goodies are oh, back to the future old TV sci-fi shows and I put into the room a link to a great uh, actual um, page that uh, Ian found now uh, uh, with uh, clips we had a very ge- the generic uh, audio clip at the beginning of today's show we didn't have a special one because I did not want to pick out one particular show uh, Darth and others will be pleased. I've got 48 clips lined up. <laughs> but many of them, maybe all of them, won't be played. I just have them here. If they get a, a sideways reference, I'll be uh, in light Flint. Get it? In light Flint. And uh, we'll talk about it. So uh, if you've all had time to actually go to that page, as I say, uh, if we perhaps go to Ken first and, uh, and Darth afterwards, because... Ian thought that we should uh, try and get some chronological order to this. There is a page actually on here which says 50s and 60s sci-fi, but um, there's very little on it, so uh, we've jumped to the page that says 60s and 70s. Um, So, with that very open brief, uh, Ken, you're a fan of older, earlier sci-fi fantasy and... uh, TV programs, yes, would
5: you, you like did. to kick
2: us off? Right.
5: My pleasure. Um, looking at this list, it just, it just hits uh, on a little bit of uh, what's good and what I love. But um, what really struck me and made me a genre fan, I'd, I'd have to f- thank two programs over anything. Twilight Zone and Outer Limits um, as as much as I loved Star Trek later for being an adventure show there was something about the purity of Rod Serling's work the theatricality and the brilliant writing and direction that, that was brought to both Twilight Zone and Outer Limits um, just struck me growing up, and to me, those shows don't date they they don't date at all. um What I love about Twilight Zone we have like the pure voice of Rod Serling's social criticism, his deep caring about society, and it wasn't just him it it was Richard Matheson also also writing. And you, you'd have that brilliance really come to fore. Uh, Twilight Zone usually was gone into different categories. You'd have the surprise ending show where uh, kind of the O. Henry, an example is the Agnes Moorhead episode where she is a old woman terrified by this Spaceship,
2: small had, creatures. The things. Yeah, called? small
5: creatures. This very small spaceship, and these creatures in in her farmhouse, and she does everything she can to defend herself. And yes, I'm going to say spoilers. The the ending, we find out. It says United States uh, space program uh, on that, and I think it also says NASA, if memory serves. So um, there, we, there we have the kind of uh, flip ending. Also a very famous Twilight Zone, which won an Academy Award. And it was not really part of Twilight Zone, but they did a special airing called An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. And it's a man during the Civil War, it's a French film, who, who is who's hung... Um, By the other side, and as he plummets down, uh, the rope breaks, and it's the entire half hour is his struggle to return home. And he's within inches of hugging his wife, finally getting home, back to her love, back to his life, and the cord on the rope snaps. We find that this was, in the few seconds of life left to him. this was in his mind, the entire half hour. So that's an example of some some Twilight zones. Then you had the comedic episodes, um, one one with Dick York, I remember, in which a coin flips immediately <laughs> on its center.
2: Uh, thoughts, it yes, like? thank
5: you. Between heads and tails. And he can read minds. And it's what happened to him during this entire day at work, you know, for this. Um, then you had one with Keenan Wynn. Um, I think it's called Writer's Devil. I, I might be mistaken on that. But whatever he writes down whatever he speaks into his pictophone at the time, (laughs) um, comes to life. And it has a very happy ending because he wishes a better world and a better wife for himself at the end. Then we have the social criticism, I think my favorites. You have one called A Stop at Willoughby. Um, James Daly is in this, this is one of my favorites. It's about a very harried executive. Um, a madman is what he is. He's an ad, an ad exec in an utterly wretched life, horrible job, a harpy of a wife, and he has, and he has nothing in his existence. He do anything to escape this to find some peace. And while on the train home, the train stops at a place called Willoughby. Where a man can live his life full measure. It's a place of band concerts, of tranquility, of easy life, without pressure, with peace. And he always wants. He never gets off on that train. He he never gets off uh, until the very end. We find he does get off on the train. It's Willoughby Funeral Parlor. Um. One hopes that he's in his own spiritual Willoughby at the end. It has the dual meeting. It's not death. But he's in that place of peace, really, at the end. And one with Burgess Meredith, which I think is just one of the greatest things ever done, something that I, I looks like something out of a Bertolt Brecht play, um, called The Obsolete Man. It's with... Burgess Meredith and Fritz Weaver. He's a man who's been condemned by the state oh. as being obsolete. And what's brilliant about this episode, the stylization, it's, it's just on the set. You have, you have the stage doors used, a simple podium, backlit, and long shadows, and one room. And it doesn't take any more money to just do something so totally brilliant. And and that's basically it. And he happens to be, and Jeff isn't with us, but I say this in honor of him, The he's a librarian in a world that needs no librarians, needs no books. And Fritz Weaver serves the state where books are outlawed, love is outlawed, etc. It's a very dystopian, Orwellian type of future. And it's this final hour that Burgess Meredith uh, spends about to be executed with his executioner, and the resolution is brilliant. And it's Burgess Meredith, for those that maybe have only seen him as the Penguin in Batman, which he did a fantastic job, I might add, such an amazing actor. Um, can
2: just just pause? Uh, sorry Bob is not an audio, but in, then how about uh, Eye of the Beholder with uh, Donna Douglas?
5: Ah, a- an- another great one. Um, that, with, um, I think Bill Tuttle uh, did the makeup on that. Um, I think he's responsible for the Morlocks in Time Machine and also the salt creature in Star Trek um, Donna Douglas um, another
4: fantastic one I'm surprised you didn't mention The Hunt
5: I, I'll i get to that there's so many of them <laughs> um, now confuse me if my memory uh, is not fitting is the Donna Douglas the one with Richard Long Or is the Donna Douglas one where everyone is utterly uh, horrible, Uh, uh, disfigured
2: looking? uh, uh, Yeah, it's the the one where she's undergoing operation to correct a genetic malformation. Uh, Everybody's in shadow. You can't see the surgeon and the nurses. Uh,
5: Oh, okay. Right, okay.
2: right. And uh, it turns out we would consider her beautiful. Yeah, the entire
5: society, they're... Full of grotesques.
2: Yeah. Um, they are the, the, full of grotesques. The grotesque. operation fails.
5: The, so she... Yes, it fails. It's a failure. And she goes away to a place at the end where her kind uh, can find some peace because they're yeah. utterly terrified, uh, you know, at, at how she looks. At how she looks. Um, there's one called The Hunt that Kobo wonderfully brought up. Written by Earl Hamner Jr., uh, creator of the Waltons, um, about a man who uh, goes coon hunting, uh, raccoon, but coon hunting, as, as he would say it, and he goes with his his dog, which is something very trusted, and we find in this episode uh, what his dog,
2: his dog Rip,
5: his dog Rip, okay. And he goes out, and they get a bit too close to the water, and then they wake up, and a man on the hillside sees them and says, well, you didn't make it. Um, you, you both were goners, and you, you're going to go with me uh, to the Elysium Fields. you got to go this way. Well, we find out that his good bloodhound Rip knows better because a man might be fooled by the uh, devil and his minions uh, uh,
2: slightly different uh, the, the dogs are not allowed, the dogs have to go to a oh
5: excuse me, okay but and he, he won't enter his spirit, without right, his dogs excuse me, excuse me. He said it's wonderful there, but we don't allow dogs in yeah. and he says well any place where a dog's not allowed, that's no place for me and then we find out that they were trying to get him to the other place we see the representative of heaven and saying, oh, there's square dances and, and everything and the best coon hunts you can have and your old woman will be there pretty soon. She'll, she'll be there soon. And it's wonderful slice of life and the, the actor uh, plays the lead character is brilliant. Um, oh, the other writer I wanted to mention actually was a triumvirate of writers Serling, Matheson, and Charles Beaumont. Mostly everything you find in Twilight Zone that was utterly brilliant, unless it's a Bradbury or, or someone else adaptation, was written by those three. And Richard Matheson, um, he wrote the wonderful book I Am Legend, Incredible Shrinking mm. Man, um, I Am Legend is remarkable because that's the great influence for George A. Romero from Night of the Living Dead, which he borrowed openly and and said that that was the great influence for revitalizing and changing the way zombies are viewed uh, forever. Um, That he wrote. He also wrote a wonderful uh, movie with Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeve Somewhere in time, which is from the novel Bid Time Return. Um, they also wrote some of the great uh, uh, Roger Corman uh, Poe films, and the Pendulum* and um, *Mask of the Red Death*, and one of my own personal favorites. Um, they worked on those, but you'll find you'll find those in *Twilight Zone*. Well, um, what, Ken,
2: um, I want you to keep talking, but let me give your voice a times as you just uh, check any of the others, and let me just play the Twilight Zone music. It's only 26 seconds. Thanks. And maybe you can pick out one or two others. Here we go. Thank you.
6: You're traveling to another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, The
2: Twilight Zone. I should just say on Talkshoe, you Talk ID at 68228. Uh, every other week on a Saturday, uh, there is The Talking Twilight Zone. Uh, they've done 97 episodes, uh, and the last one we just covered, because I, I go on that show, is um, episode 94, talking about uh, Talking Twilight, 4 o'clock which uh, has that shrinking theme in it again. So we're up to Series 3, Episode 94. Uh, So uh, hopefully uh, people will um, have a check of that out.
5: Okay, Ken, are you... Thank you. I am am refreshed with that wonderful theme. Um, Some others that come to mind. Now... Twilight Zone, as I remember, was on five years. Um, 1959 and 64, as the information says. And there were half-hour shows, which were perfection. There was a one-hour season. And those don't strike in the memory, you know, as much. But there were, were still some excellent ones. Back, back to the half-hour ones for a moment... Um, Another episode, which I think is just as good today as when it was first broadcast, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Mm. It's a city street where the lights start going off on some houses but not others. And there has been paranoia on the radio about attacks. I mean, this is the time of the Red Scare, um, pre-Cuban missile crisis, etc. And then a car will start on your neighbor, but your car won't start, etc. And this starts instilling fear more and more they start saying well these people just moved into the neighborhood what do we really know about them no but you know you know my son no but we saw him playing over there what is he doing and it grows and grows and grows and someone has gone to check on getting some gas checking on down the street to see what's happening they come back altercation And someone is shot and killed. And it continues. The madness continues. On and on and on. And the entire street, they're destroying themselves. We have the camera pan back. And we see alien giants. With a small device. Going, it's so simple. Take away some of their power a few lights, a motor, and it's always the same. We won't have to destroy them. It'll be so easy. One to the other. One to the other. One to the other. And ends with Rod Serling's incredible narrations, opening and closing uh, narrations, which if you want just perfect poetry, you could just read those. You could just read those. Um, one of the hour episodes that always struck in my mind is one with George Grisard, um in which he finds out, he gets a strange cut, he has amnesia, and he peels back his skin and he's an automaton. He's a robot. And the real man has lost his life, the sense of love in his life, and he learns from this robot, you know, who the real man is. It's a really excellent uh, one. But a lot of the hour episodes don't don't stick in in my mind, you know, as much.
2: But, I would I just in here again just in case we're getting people too excited there are some uh duff ones in talking twilight zone you know there are patches where you go through one yeah. or two or three that aren't yeah, because well of course those don't stick in your mind uh you know, or one um,
5: person's favorite you know might might feel it's a bit gimmicky etc you know i i get tired of maybe talking tina you know uh after a while the one with Telly Savalas and the doll um there's there's a wonderful one with Cliff Robertson as a ventriloquist which is excellent
4: there's a Um, lovely one with um the little boy that can send people to the cornfield
5: oh Oh, perhaps one one of the greatest yes 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 Billy Moomy Billy Moomy a now, interesting thing about this, this has been redone, and it had a sequel, uh, which, which is interesting historically. It's called this
2: is, a Lovely Day, isn't it? Uh,
5: yeah, it's A Good Life a good by life. Jerome Bixby, who wrote the original story. And it's about a little boy. No, excuse me. It, it's either It's A Good Life or It's A Wonderful Life.
2: I'll check that in a minute. Yeah,
5: please check that. And it's a small amount of people celebrating the birthday of a very precocious and deadly little boy who you don't want to get on the bad side of. Because this little boy, in essence, is God or a demon, a demon God, uh, so to speak.
2: It's a good life.
5: It's a good life.
2: Yeah.
5: And he controls the world. There's nothing else in the world except what he wishes it to be. There are no other people in the world, it, it, for all intents and purposes, just his family and a few friends. There's no television except the television that he creates, which he has dinosaurs, obviously real dinosaurs fighting on the TV. And you have to have happy thoughts. Because he can read your minds, he knows what you're thinking, and if there are any bad thoughts, he'll wish you into the cornfield. He'll kill you in a horrible, loathsome way. He'll.
2: I think you turn into a scarecrow. Don't you? Scarecrow, a scarecrow or a jackal, yeah.
5: a jack o' lantern to to, to yeah. one person. Oh yeah. Um. And they want to do anything they can to to try and actually to kill him and it ends it ends with him still surviving and it's 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 a good life and that's how it ends now this was rewritten and redone in the twilight zone motion picture that was very soft it had a happy ending it was a school teacher brought in and everything's fine with the world, and it ruins the story. Ruins the story, I think. It it doesn't work like that. It's got to be totally nihilistic and terrifying, and Billy Mo- Billy Mooney scares the bejesus out of you. Now, uh, they had... <coughs> there are like three three incarnations of Twilight Zone. Actually, there was a special one with Lost Episodes, but there was a Phil Deguerre uh, J. Michael Straczynski produced Twilight Zone in the 80s which did excellent work excellent stuff uh, and then there was another Twilight Zone uh, in the 2000s that was brought back and they did a sequel to that with Billy Moomy as an adult with a little girl and it was it was not bad. They they had some nice homages to the original. They had the pictures of his parents in a framed picture, and it and it had the same kind of dark ending, like that's my little girl. So it, it was it was played out pretty good, but not nothing nothing as great as the original. Not nothing as great as the original. Um. Um. I could I could go on for hours with this I want I want to leave that for a moment but you know Twilight Zone you know it would go in my list maybe it would mash for most of the part in Doctor Who greatest shows in the history of television maybe some of the best writing anywhere you you had theater. You had poetic theater every week. It, it wasn't just genre. It wasn't just about gimmicks. It was Rod Serling's guts, heart, and soul poured into that screen. And I don't think we've ever seen a pure distillation of somebody's talent come out. Now, he later worked on Night Gallery. He was a hired hand. He didn't like the show, there were some very nice night galleries. And there was a lot of junk on Night Gallery. But his heart wasn't in it. He was just a man for hire. Um, Twilight Zone, it was a different matter. He fought with the network. That That was him. Now, if you go to some old magazine stores, if you can, there was a very nice Twilight Zone magazine that was out in the 80s. Carol Serling, his wife, uh, worked on it a lot of times. They had uh, scripts from the show. If you get a chance, um, really worthwhile to find it. Now, another show which just totally reinvented my world was Outer Limits, a show that only was on for a year and a half. That was it. And I will forever hate the King family, a, the musical group of family, uh, because that's what took over for Outer Limits. And Outer Limits also had a new incarnation um, that you can find on cable every now and then. Not the same. Um, the pilot episode with Cliff Robertson is called The Galaxy Being. The show starts with a voice going, this is a control voice. Um, I can control the horizontal, the vertical. I can take you from the awe and mystery of the inner mind to the outer limits. And this was pure science fiction and fantasy literature brought to life every week. Yes, there were some clunkers, but the effects for the money were fantastic. The photography, the show was always in black and white. Same with Twilight Zone. And this is this is something in film and television I bemoan today. It doesn't always have to be pastels. And pretty, and color. There's so much you can do with black and white.
2: Yeah, to Paul's yeah, I remember that bit. There's nothing wrong with your television set. We control the horizontal. Yeah, I haven't got a clip for that one, unfortunately, but um, I, I, I do remember enjoying it. Uh, from this page, and we are using this pane, time, warm, uh, time warp memories. dot com forward slash TV Sci Fi. Um, it says, just it just says here very briefly The Outer Limits, 1963 included a different cast each week tending towards the hard science, space travel, time travel and human evolution it tries to examine in each show some form of the question what is the nature of man yes.
5: now the first episode like I said, the pilot called The Galaxy Being has Cliff Robertson communicating with an alien who was brought down and trapped um, by his research and using some negative photography on a suit it's a wonderful, wonderful effect of this but some of the best acting Cliff Robertson um, had ever done and Joseph Stefano um um was the producer of the show um and it had a very different look you one photography a lot of times by Byron Haskin uh, I mean, Byron Haskin was the uh, director on it and jark um wonderful. It was like watching um, a brilliant foreign film um, every week. Um, Notable with some of the work uh, by Harlan Ellison on the show. Um, Soldier with Michael and Sarah. And Demon with a Glass Hand with Robert Culp. Great, brilliant, brilliant story. And There's some notoriety to the episode Soldier because evidently um, James Cameron was influenced in the making of The Terminator by Outer Limits or this episode. And there was an out-of-court settlement uh, to Harlan Ellison uh, for this. So now on every print of Terminator it says Acknowledgement, to the work of Harlan Ellison. Now, I never thought it was exactly that episode, although there are some visual cues and some things you can identify with it. There's an other episode with Martin Landau called The Man Who Was Never Born, about a man who wants to go back in time to kill someone to change the future. That sounds very much like Terminator's uh, plot line. But um, Outer Limits, if you've never seen this show, um, see it. um, Yeah, I would agree with that. It's on on DVD. It's on DVD, DVD and I'm not sure it's on Netflix or not. Yeah. Uh, It's not, unfortunately.
4: Okay.
2: Okay. There are 49 episodes, so although it wasn't long, it did quite a lot. Cybob yeah. says he likes that one. Just also, it says on the wiki page here, influence on Star Trek. Uh, a few of the monsters uh, reappeared in Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek later in the 60s. Some props and so on. Lead actors would later appear in the regular cast, uh, including uh, Leonard Nimoy, who appeared in two episodes, uh, Production and Decay of Strange Particles and iRobot. 'Cause iRobot uh the Isaac Asimov uh, creation.
5: Um no I, I, that's a it's a different story. It's um from Autobinder's Adam Link uh oh, it just, story. It might have this it might have the same uh title. Oh
2: right. Oh right. It, it's not but, the uh, right. Well thank you for that. But I didn't reference that.
5: But um some other ones notable utterly terrifying special effects, stop-motion, one called the Xanti Misfits. And there are these terrible, terrifying ant creatures with goatees who make this very strange humming sound. And they're like attacking people. Um, We find out the reason there, it's a prison ship at at the end of the episode but that that's something that that gets uh uh in the imagination the episode i mentioned the man who was never born with martin landau demon with a glass hand with robert culp uh soldier with michael and sarah um i robot with leonard nimoy and howard de Silva, um there's there's one um, called the Inheritors, um, a, a two-parter, um, which is which is really really brilliant.
2: I definitely remember the Demon with the Glass Hand. That was really, you know, I mean, this was real hard science fiction stuff. Uh, yeah. Excellent.
5: And that that's from a whole series of a race that Harlan Ellison had from many stories. Uh, called The Kyben. Um He had a whole uh, bunch of stories about the Kybin Wars um, in that, and evidently much of it that was written for Robert Culp. This would actually make a great full-blown movie, uh, Demon with a Glass Hand. I'm, I'm Brought surprised. Brought out as a
2: graphic novel. Brought out as a graphic novel. Yeah,
5: by, by DC Comics.
2: Right.
5: And interesting thing The location used for the battles and fighting and much of uh, Demon is the Bradbury Building in Los Angeles, which is also used in Blade Runner for its climax. So that's an interesting tidbit about that episode. The uh, Bradbury Building is used uh, in in both of those.
2: In both of those. It's saying on the wiki page, by the way, uh, many mainstream media outlets report that Demon with a glass hand was the basis of a settlement that Ellison received after it was allegedly plagiarized for the Terminator.
5: Well, not de- Demon. It was mo- mo- what I had heard. It was Soldier. Soldier was the episode um, ah. that was Terminator. Because you look at the visual. Oh yeah, 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 Soldier. yeah. yeah.
2: It then goes on to say something like that. Um, yeah.
5: Now, another little bit of kind of offhand trivia, Um, Cybob mentions about the Architects of Fear. That's another um, Robert Culp episode. It's about a man who's transformed into an alien um, to be used in war games. Um, And this episode, it was... To to have uh, the world the world unite against a common threat. This is mentioned in the uh, graphic novel Watchmen, and it's symbolically uh, the whole theme is also the the end of Watchmen itself, as the episode about uh, a false threat uniting the world against a common threat. So on the television. Uh, in the comic, they're watching Outer Limits, and it's the episode The Architects of Fear. So Alan Moore is giving a nod to Outer Limits in that.
3: Oh, yeah. Now,
5: now going on to some other shows, not wanting to just dwell on two. Um, Superman. Superman with George Reeves. Loved this show growing up. Remember the thrill I had when we first got our color TV and knowing there were color episodes of this show? It was a little frustrating that you had Superman, but there was no Lex Luthor, no Brainiac, no, no supervillains. Usually they were, they were just gangsters, and they threw guns at his chest. A lot of times and bullets bounced off but George Reeves such a fine actor and had such a sense of wit playing Clark Kent actually as Clark Kent detective I've got to hand it to him and Noel Neal as I think the best Lois Lane best for that show Lois Lane I'd have to give it to Terry Hatcher Um, and Dana Delaney, I I think, would make a great Lois Lane in real life and the voice of Lois Lane in the animated series. But George Reeves was always my Superman growing up. It was almost a little hard accepting Christopher Reeve when the movie came out, but I did, but I did. It, w- it was a fun series. Um, some notable ones are, I remember when... You had him split into two people. You had a gangster who is masquerading as Superman, and I always remember the line of dialogue: "I look like Superman. Why can't I talk like Superman?" And he, he's hilarious doing this. George Reeves in that episode, and he always had that kind of winning smile and attitude, and it was just—it was just a blast. Now. The Irwin Allen um, staple of series, Um, for the most part, my heart was never into them. Um, Lost in Space I liked in the beginning, when it was fairly serious, and it wasn't the Dr. Smith robot show.
1: Mm. Um,
5: It became real silly for me, and I, I just really couldn't abide Voyage or Time Tunnel that much, or, or any of that, oh, you know, they it, it, it didn't get to me. I mean, when when I had Twilight Zone and, and Outer Limits and then Star Trek, those seemed, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I was too old at the time or didn't grab me. But what got to me liking Lost in Space, I guess, for the most part in the beginning, well, I love the robot. Because who doesn't love a good robot? You know, it's one of the classic robots next to Robbie. Um, But it was Guy Williams, who to me would always be my Zorro. And June Lockhart, you know, Lassie's mom. So that that was a big thing to me, you know. I mean, it, it was fun. And I, I always did like the Michael Rennie episode as the keeper. I thought that was very classy, but it was, it was too much to me.
3: Oh no! What are we going to do, Will? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know,
5: too, too much of that and too much the monster of the week. That it, it never grabbed me, even even as a kid. Um, That's
2: I mean, I, I watched. Let t- me give you a chance to catch your breath. I'm been And. Um, Okay. Let me just mention two things. Uh, when you were talking about Superman, I watched recently a film called um, Hollywoodland. Uh, not particularly a great fan of Ben Affleck, but he plays um, the part of George Reeves. Um, it's quite uh, an interesting film with people. I have seen it. got Bob Hoskins in it and um, Diane Lane, uh, Adrian Barodi from the piano fame. are oh, the pianist, sorry, is it? Um, so I, I quite like uh, I'm, I must just read what Cybob's put in again. I like the Time Tunnel because time travel uh, stories always intrigue me. I'm absolutely with you there on that one, Cybob. Yeah. And um, back to you, Ken. Enjoy Thank listening you. to you. I hope the other people don't mind waiting their turn, but we hopefully we'll get to those on audio soon. Now, I did of the Irwin Allen, Time Tunnel,
5: I always... The future ones to me... Always got silly because they had the Irwin Allen silly aliens and and monsters. But there no,
2: was mostly in the past. It was only yeah, a couple of things. Yeah, silver uh, aliens in it. Yeah, I had to, I had to take it back. They on didn't
5: this. work. The voyage, voyage in the beginning, I liked. Then it bugged the heck out of me when it got to the monsters.
2: Oh right. Yeah.
5: Lost in space, when in the black and white days, was more fun, and I enjoyed it. Then when it went into color again, the silliness factor. Now, time tunnel. I did watch for the historical aspect, and mm-hmm. I and I thought the tunnel looked great. I thought the tunnel was cool. I liked the effect. And Land of the Giants. See, I, I really enjoyed that one because that that also got back to the movie Doctor Cyclops to me, and I and I thought the effects and the whole danger of what they were going through um was really good and that that that, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. But I, I think the best thing Irwin Allen did was uh, the Poseidon Adventure actually. Um damn good movie. But um some of the other shows oh I I have to we're having something from nineteen seventy but I have to do the precursors to that. Uh anything Jerry Anderson anything Jerry Anderson that I was aware of as a kid and then later. Um, Thunderbirds was played in the States. Supercar. Um, Fireball XL5. I I love those. There was just magic. Magic. Those, those puppets were more alive than people to me. I, I don't know. It was just the intricacy of the effects and everything. And then in the 70s, on a local station, they advertised this new show, UFO. And, oh, God, it's like these incredible effects. And what a rather cynical, introspective show. These characters are really pretty messed up. And I love that. It, it wasn't all the cheeriness. You know, um, Straker, Ed, played by Ed Bishop, I, I, I thought the whole ingenious attitude of, of him being the head of the studio as being the cover for this organization was so wonderful. And it had that great kind of mod-70s feel to the costumes, the women with the purple hair on the moon base and Underwater, and it was like a mixture of all the Jerry Anderson shows done live action, and there was a neat movie that Anderson did called Doppelganger. Um, Also, Ed Bishop was in, which I kind of referenced on that, but UFO was a favorite of mine. I love that show. Mm. Then, UFO was changed. Instead of a second season, evidently, they did Space 1999 with Favorites of mine from Mission Impossible: Martin Landau and Barbara Bain.
2: Husband and wife. Yeah.
5: Husband and wife, and um, help me with his name. All of a sudden, Inspector Gerard Barry. Oh, Barry Morse. Barry Morse, wonderful actor, who yeah. I knew was was a was a British actor. Um, actually, one of the humorous outer limits with Carol O'Connor. Which which is all about uh, freak changing history and changing uh, someone's murder. It's a hilarious episode. They do. Um, they play Martian time agents uh, Phobos and Deimos in, in that uh, Outer Limits episode. But Space 1999, I enjoyed, but I thought they were kind of wooden. It, it, it Catherine c- is
2: Schnell is it Sherlock? or a couple, Shell in the second
5: in the second season. Catherine Schell joined the series, kind of sexed it up a bit, and had Brian Blessed uh, in his exuberance as, as her father uh, in that. But they had some good co-stars, uh, Christopher Lee, etc. I enjoyed Space 1999, but no way as much as UFO. Uh, uh, that was just um, so much better. Um Incredibly, or not incredibly, never that much into Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman. Kind of not not in my purview of life. Um,
4: I can hear Darth Kimming now.
5: I know. Sorry, Darth. Not doing. Hulk, being the comic fan, I couldn't wait for it. And liking Bill Bixby uh, oh, from My nice. Favorite Martian and The Magician um, really enjoyed what they did with Hulk. Um, they made the Hulk series like one of my favorite classic series, The Fugitive. That's what that show was, in essence. Uh, he was the man on the run who every now and then turned green and savage and wind up helping people, as he did. He uh, he helped people rather than hurt them. Um But unfortunately, the one that was always getting hurt was uh, David Banner. Interesting thing uh, about them uh, calling him David Banner rather than Bruce Banner, uh, like the comic. So they made it evidently uh, David Bruce Banner. I thought that was kind of ingenious. Um, But a really fine series. Later on, they brought back TV movies um, The Return of the Incredible Hulk in which they had him meet Thor The Trial of the Incredible Hulk which had Daredevil and John Rhys Davies as Fisk who everyone knows from the comic is, is uh, the kingpin and the death of the uh, Incredible Hulk with Incredible Hulk which is hard to watch today, considering uh Bill Bixby's passing, and it was a rather sad movie because he literally does uh not find peace at the end, and it would have been nice if finally uh, Bruce Banner could have been freed of the curse and found some peace, but that was never to be because because that was the last uh, thing there right
2: let me just um let me just. For those people listening to the recording later, let me just remind people of um, at uh, 60s and 70s classic TV and sci-fi and, uh, and I'll just very quickly name the ones um, that you've alluded to that are on here. It's got Superman, Twilight Zone, One Step Beyond, The Jetsons, My Favourite Martian, Lost in Space, The Outer Limits, It's About Time, um, t- the Time Tunnel, Star Trek, uh, The Invaders, uh, Land of the Giants, UFO, Six Million Dollar Man, Incredible Hulk, Mork and Mindy, Battlestar Galactica, Book Rogers of the 25th Century. So th- that's the the list of ones that this particular page picks out as, uh, as stand-out ones, and you've mentioned one or two others of your own. Um, anything else you want to add, and then we'll uh, go to Darth, if we may.
5: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add one more
2: uh, on
5: something. Um, s- something else that was so nice around that time, and I've got to give credit to it, um, was the uh, Batman series, Adam West. Um Which I had kind of a love and a hate relationship with growing up, because i I liked the the campiness of the comic around that time, but I always wanted the dark Batman that i that I knew from reading Jules Pfeiffer's book, Origins of Comics that existed, so always always wanted a bit more of a serious Batman. There was a campy perfection to that series. What what Adam West, Burt Ward, uh, the whole production team brought to it, that great Batmobile, there there was a sense in the country everyone stopped for Batman. Everyone stopped for that show. It was
2: preempted. People went nuts. Just so, been bought, hasn't it? Didn't we just have one of the news items a week or so ago about um, somebody just having bought the the Batman Bill, the original one from yes. the And sorry,
5: no, no no um Julie Newmar uh being so iconic and wonderful and you know, let me admit, uh had such an effect on my generation. Uh an actress like that in that costume like that. And the villains. You have someone as good as Burgess Meredith as the Penguin. Frank Gorshin borrowing the attitude of Richard Widmark from the movie Kiss of Death uh, to do his uh, Riddler. Uh, Cesar Romero just kind of fluffing around, having fun with his mustache as the Joker, I must admit. But... There's beautiful purity to those original episodes, and Mattel is going to be bringing out action figures—brilliant action figures of uh, the characters from the series. The first ones they're doing are of uh, Penguin and the Riddler and Adam West Batman. Um, so that that's really good news. But it was also nice at the time that they did a Green Hornet series with the great Bruce Lee as Cato. And I always remember them teaming up. There was a crossover episode with the two of them. It wasn't as flashy, but it was really great having that famous pulp character on TV at the same time as they were having Batman. So it was a real good time. Um, Real briefly... And this is probably things I, I went through when talking about episodes that made my youth. But I have to give uh, the tip of the hat to uh, you know Walt Disney's Zorro series, to The Lone Ranger. I mean, they're doing a movie now. It was a great iconic series, something I, I always loved. Some of the great Western series, Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson. Rawhide, of course, Gunsmoke, and Have Gun Will Travel. But uh, let me leave it there. They're oldies, and they are goodies. And there is a station called MeTV, memorable television, uh, on cable, which is showing an entire swath of wonderful vintage uh, series and they're having classic universal horror films every Saturday, Saturday night with a host called Sven Gulli. So he's doing classic movies, interrupting people, throwing rubber chickens at him with bad jokes. I really recommend watching that. But it's great lineup. It's what TV Land maybe used to be or should be. Um, keep a lookout for that. But thanks. Thanks for letting me uh, have my say.
2: That's uh, an absolute pleasure. Uh, Thank you. Very, very uh, good memories that you brought back uh, for me as well. And I'm just going to look up... Um, I'm just going to give um, uh, Darth uh, just check that he is okay to come on audio at the moment. I know sometimes he he does have to take... Uh, a call or something while we're on. But, um, yeah, what you what uh, you were alluding to was that we did an episode a while back called, um, you know, um, uh, Cult TV when we were growing up or something, and I will find that at some point and just mention it so people can give that uh, a little re-listen to. So, um, uh, Darth, are you, uh, are you OK to come on audio now? And then we'll go to Kovo after yourself
6: sure yeah um as you know i don't really like science fiction so um this is not particularly a subject that um is near and dear to my heart almost everything that i've heard twilight zone who cares i mean i i understand its its position in american television history I think that its brilliant episodes are perhaps better remembered than its crappy ones. Um,
2: I think I, that's true, yeah.
6: I, I am a little more inclined to bemoan the fact, uh, if we're going to talk in terms of anthological science fiction series, that we have the whole of the Twilight Zone and so little of the the British um, out of the unknown. Um uh-huh. Because out of the unknown, uh, is very much a parallel, but it's it's better to my mind than a lot of Twilight Zone, notwithstanding a few memorable episodes of that Rod Serling series, because uh, it's based on actual science fiction. Like, uh, no, I don't mean to suggest that Twilight Zone isn't actually science fiction, but rather it's based on. Literary science fiction. Um, I'm pretty sure that every episode, at least in the first three seasons of uh, The Unknown, was in fact based on a novella, or maybe in some cases, if they got ambitious, a uh, novel itself or a, a short story or whatever. So it was the place that you would go if you wanted to see, you know, Isaac Asimov um, or any of the other really big names of uh, literary science fiction at the time.
2: John Brunner. J.G. Mm. Ballard Frederick Paul mm. all wrote for it yeah
6: just tons and tons of people and not only that but what was great about it was that you know it was based on the really big names of literary science fiction but then the people who did the adaptation were also typically heavy hitters as well of at least British television so it's this sort of perfect storm of you know the best of science fiction and British television all sort of wrapped together in one um, and the few episodes that remain that I've seen Are, are just bang up and really kind of interesting And um, I, I certainly wouldn't say that it was something that I grew up with That would be totally, you know, it's I don't know how It's 15, 20 years out of my time it's, it's Essentially it's a generation back But um, it, to my mind it makes for better, more interesting viewing um, Than a lot of Twilight Zone does Certainly, I've got no time for Outer Limits. I've got no time for almost everything that, that has been mentioned so far. Um, my, To the extent that I watch science fiction stuff, it's, it's because of an overlap of two other things. I, I mean, I really like realistic things. At the end of the day, um, either it needs to be comedy, which in some cases can be farcical and, and therefore not realistic, like Batman. Batman... Fabulous. And and I would actually remove the qualification that was uh, attempted to be placed upon it. Uh, it's not that it is, you know, campy perfection. It's that it was perfection. Period. Batman is, with very few exceptions, perfect. Perfect comedy. And that's why I have such a hard time um, viewing the Batman franchise as, you know, any good. Like the, the real, the actual, the thing that Batman, the television series is parodying is better than the franchise itself. Um, now, I will readily admit, and we've talked about it before, that the, the recent Christopher Nolan series kind of shakes me out of that. But generally speaking, um, when I think of Batman, I think of it as comedy. I don't think of it as serious. Uh, I also think that, you know, Morgan Mindy, is better science fiction, more interesting science fiction than almost anything that was happening in the 70s. It's better than Space 1999. It's better than Battlestar Galactica. Uh, It's better than anything that was actually space-based. So that's sort of one thing that I like is, you know, comedy. Comedy that took quark was another interesting series that came out around that time. Um, Lasted only for one season – uh, but you can get it now, and it 's brilliant uh, because what quark is is it 's a um, it 's essentially a parody of Star Trek, and in some cases uh, the episodes are direct parodies of um, specific episodes of star trek um, and I think that that is fabulous um, but i don 't universally think that just because you make a parody of um, science fiction that necessarily is all that great. I don't particularly like spaceballs. I mean, Mel Brooks. I love in a lot of cases Young Frankenstein. I guess we could certainly call that science fiction. Um, in that case, that is you know brilliant. And I, and I tend to think of Young Frankenstein just like I do, you know, the Adam West Batman series. In that, I think Young Frankenstein is the best version of Frankenstein that there is because Frankenstein is a laughable idea. So why not play it straight, but make a parody of it, and you come up with something that I think is is just better than Mary Shelley's original. Um, and in a way, I don't think you even need Mary Shelley's original because it's not exactly a parody of Frankenstein itself, so much as I don't know the the notion of that sort of turn of the century approach to science fiction, that there is a a mad scientist. The mad scientist thinks that they are above nature and above God and everything, and how you can de- derive some sort of comic gold from that. Um, so I, that, that certainly is one whole area for me is, to the extent that I like science fiction, it needs to be a comedy. The other thing is, as long as it's realistic and it's about... I guess I like hero-based science fiction in a way. Um, and, and things where I can obviously see a parallel. Like one of the reasons, I, I didn't really like original Star Trek when I was growing up all that much. I was much more into Star Wars. And I realized Star Wars is not really science fiction, it's science fantasy. But a lot of people say, well, it's spaceships, so it's science fiction. Um, but Star Trek didn't really do anything for me until we got to Wrath of Khan. And the reason that Wrath of Khan worked so well for me is because it, it it said, you know what, this is basically a military organization. This is the U.S. Navy, and it's a little it's like the combination of the U.S. Navy and the Peace Corps s- slapped together, spreading the ideals of John F. Kennedy throughout the universe, and that worked for me. That um, really worked for me, and, and I'm really glad that the Nicholas Meyer approach to Star Trek. Um, that is the essential reinvention of Star Trek as something much more reality based you know getting rid of the multicolored pajamas and all that stuff and just saying you know what we do have phasers we do have torpedoes we are going to be in conflict where you have to exercise force and if that is a problem for you Mr. Spock then I guess we're going to have to have a discussion about that and that's where there's going to be some drama Um, and, and that's that's one of the things that I've liked about Star Trek, and one of the things that makes, you know, shows like Voyager so painful because they, you know, get into these stupid holodeck stuff. Um, you know, the holodeck's broken down again. Who cares? That's not really Star Trek to me. Um, the, the holodeck should just be a tool, and you use it whenever you need to demonstrate things that you can't otherwise demonstrate. Um, and I think for me, the best episodes of Star Trek are always those ones in which. A realistic drama based upon a situation of sort of military discipline comes to the fore. That's what best both worlds is so good. It is about absolutely at its core, what is William Riker going to do now that he has succeeded to the captaincy? That's what that story is all about, and that's why it works so well. And that's why the the uh, the cliffhanger is one of the most brilliant cliffhangers ever. Because it's about something human. It's about something real that you can get your, your teeth into. Um, and I find that a lot of times, you know, science fiction is so not about that. It's, it's about robots. It's about stupid stuff. Um, and, 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 again, I suppose this is why I would take exception, you know, to what's just been said about $6 million man buying a woman.
2: Because
6: $6 million man, brilliant. 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 I mean first of all, you know, most people don't realize today that it, it of course started out as literary science fiction. And and quite different fiction to what it eventually uh, turned out to be. But if you look at the original pilot, I mean it's everything that somebody growing up should really l- latch on to. If you're going to throw in a little bit of uh, you know, advanced science and tech, at least start out from the position of this guy is an astronaut. What a cool profession. How, I mean, the only thing better maybe that you could do is say, all right, this is a firefighter or this is a policeman. Not even a policeman. Policeman wouldn't work. It's got to be a firefighter. It's got to be, you know, somebody with a core, cool job. And in the prosecution of that job, they, for the service of their country, go down in flames. So what do you do? Somebody comes in who's just not... Like in the Bond films, not M, not somebody who is, you know, in this position because they are essentially in the upper crust of society and uh, they've been appointed to the position by the prime minister, but basically are on, on you know, they can go to uh, ask it, uh, to mingle with the queen. Not like that. Who you've got? And, and again, this is not in the pilot, but immediately after the pilot. You've got Oscar Goldman, who I'm sorry, is the coolest damn boss you could ever have because he is, you know, wearing an off-the-rack suit, trying desperately to do his work from, a job, from an office that is clearly in the, you know, Everett Dirksen building in Washington. And, you know, wood panel that's crappy wood panel that you, you could put up in your own house just like it would be in a government office. Being squeezed by the man, always having to worry about budget, but nevertheless, even though he's got these budget concerns, somehow find $6 million for Steve Austin, the hero, who who deserves it, and somehow find $7 million when Steve Austin's girlfriend gets in trouble. And that's one of the greatest things about the, the birth of the Bionic Woman is that there is an actual scene where you see Oscar Goldman, not M, in you know the Universal Exports building, surrounded by padded walls, uh, calling in somebody from the outer office. But you see Oscar Goldman go to a ranch in Ojai, California, to sit at Steve Austin's parents' table. After Jamie has gone down in the flames of this parachute and says, Steve, I can't do it. I cannot find the money to do this. I know it's technically possible, but I can't do it. And Austin just has to go through this list and says, look, man, you put me back together. You didn't even ask to put me back together. You just did it. And then you turned me into your bitch. And then you sent me out there. And you've made me go through all these spy missions. You've made me deal with the FemBots. You've made me do all this crappy stuff. And you're going to tell me that the woman I'm engaged to doesn't deserve to be put back together, even though we both know that we put her back together and she'd make a fine assistant for me, essentially, or a fine agent for you. And they, they just throw down in the middle of, you know, suburb it's not even suburban, it's rural America deciding how to essentially you know <laughs> skirt Congress <laughs> to do this seven million dollar project. It's great because it's real drama. It's the it's the difference between you know Battlestar Galactica now and Battlestar Galactica then. It's you know really doing something that makes some realistic sense so that the the craziness, the the science fictional element of these bionic limbs and bionic eyes and bionic ears that could not work. No way. Still makes sense because it seems like it's it's a it's a laudable government program that's stuck away in some office. And you see it too, you know, every time Rudy Wells comes up. There's always, uh, you know, i got to get more money for my department. You know, it's, it's all about this political drama. And I, and I loved it because that's – it was about being American. It was about, you know, the government. And, and yet there's this little bit of, you know, but I have infrared vision. But I can, you know, jump over tall buildings. You know, this sort of thing. You know, just a little bit of fun stuff. But basically it is about, you know, a government employee and what you're going to do. Which is great. Uh, so, I, I think that's where, especially in the 70s and in the 60s, that's where science fiction, I think, was really good. Is When it said, you know what, we do not have the money to do but two things. We can do a parody, because nobody's going to be expecting too much. And as long as the, the humor and the comedy is really sharp and really good, we'll have something on our hands that America will love. That's Batman. Or... You know, we're not going to try to be super science fictional. We're going to root the thing in um, the real world, and we're going to make the special effects here basically a slow-mo camera to indicate speed, which is crazy a thought when you think about it. It doesn't make any sense, but it totally worked. And it had everybody, you know, on the playgrounds doing slow-mo action to indicate, I'm using my bionic powers now, Um and I think that's where science fiction has been really, really good on television, is when it's recognized what its limitations are and played to those strengths. Otherwise, science fiction on television is a wasteland. Just crap. Uh, and
2: I'm going to take contention with that. I mean, it may, cont- not, be to everybody's taste. may not, not be for mm, everybody's taste, but I mean, 50% nah. of what I watch on TV is science fiction. Okay, well, are under the umbrella of it the
6: logical conclusion of that is um, yeah I, not I, soaps <laughs> I, well but the thing about soaps that you know and I know that a lot of science fiction people or uh, fans or whatever deride soaps and therefore deride elements uh, you know from soap operas that have been injected into you know for instance, well they're
2: all mellow in the UK Doctor they're, Who. All melodra- they're all melodrama now they're not drama the melodrama, everything's heightened. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, uh, did you have the abortion when you slept with my sister, who has a twin brother that I love because I'm gay? I mean, it, the, the 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 twists in the plot are just so unbelievable nowadays. Well, but that
6: um, you know, it it certainly worked out well for shows like Doctor Who. I mean, I know that a lot of science fiction fans and Doctor Who fans don't like this about Russell T. Davies, but you can't deny that it worked to oh. get great ratings. You can't deny that it, it absolutely,
2: absolutely uh, I, to the success I
6: of it. Mm.
2: Uh,
6: and, I, and I think this is a problem with science fiction is that when it, on television particularly, and, a, and the reason why a lot of these science fiction shows last for one season and then they're gone is, is that they think that it, the deal is make good science fiction and people will come, and that's crap. That doesn't work. There's no such thing as a, a, a successful, great science fiction show. What makes a, a show with science fictional elements oh, that's is good? Uh, well, well, what makes I thought, it? A show, it's
2: an opinion, Carl, it's an opinion. What but makes that, a show?
6: I, well, hold on. What makes a show that's good, that's got science fictional elements in it, is that it first and foremost says we have to obey the rules of television or break them in an interesting way so that people will come back to see it time and time again. It's one of the reasons that Heroes worked amazingly well out of the gate. I mean, seriously, episode mm-hmm. one of Heroes worked so well was because it said we are first and foremost going to do something that is realistic and that people can grab onto emotionally and then you know we'll layer in these other elements that's what makes that work and, and a lot of science fiction shows especially from, from this period of time uh, that I guess we're talking about which is what 60s and 70s um, just don't do is they, they don't by and large have something that is interesting In in a real life sense. Uh, And instead, you know, everything is derived from what kind of gimmicky robot can we have, Um, what kind of uh, adventure sequences can we put together, what kind of special effects can we use. Uh, That's what a lot of science fiction shows go for, and they fail because of that, I think. Uh,
2: Well, I agree. I agree to the point that they they may fail fail in not being a populist program that survives Uh, and I suppose if you're an advertiser that's the the basic criteria but what they may well do is bring 80-90% and pleasure to only 10% of the prospective possible audience where some of these other programs have a very wide appeal and you know three quarters of the people like them three quarters of the time therefore they're successful because they have this this broad uh, appeal across uh, different, you know, generational differences and uh, you know economic differences and all sorts of differences. So the the logical conclusion to that is, if you go too far in that way, you can end up with bland pro- programming that won't offend anybody. I mean, one of the things I will absolutely concede to you is with science fiction, usually the the what i would consider the better quality science fiction that satisfies my desire for that sort of programming by very definition will have sort of become narrow cast because it's already said basically we're only appealing to you know 15% of the the viewing audience and maybe only a third of those will tune in and and follow it that's why i suppose you get some very loyal audiences to whether it's, um, you know, Battlestar Galactica or Star Trek or Doctor Who, although, as you quite rightly say, you do get programmes like Doctor Who that 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 has probably opened out and benefited from the input of people who have that experience, and they have broadened the appeal. There's no doubt about it that Doctor Who uh, is not hard science fiction as much as I want it to be, uh, and it is being broadened and broadened uh, mainly specifically to bring more female viewers in and so on and now to 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 make inroads into the American market. But I, I, I don't... By one definition, that would argue that there is no good science fiction that stays on our screen. Um, but that doesn't mean it, to those who watched it, it wasn't a very satisfying experience. I mean, I love watching... I mean I could make more modern ones but let's say things like Flash or True Calling, uh um, I like I loved Highlander uh, I loved Tracker that he brought after it. Lots of different science fiction. I love um, um the um oh, the the time Crime Crime Traveller, uh, uh and lots of others. But on the other hand I also like other great big ones. I love the series Rome, which isn't science fiction but is played on a big scale and is a big drama. Um, but there are all sorts of things. There's the fantasy ones. I think you were a big fan of Game of Thrones, which obviously is not science fiction, but is that in 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 a fantasy element? Would you call it, uh, by definition, a sort of a alongside science fiction in the much that it is a genre program?
5: The fantasy was laid on very slightly on Game of Thrones in the beginning. It's just very very put in by increments as it's going, going uh, further, you know, any, any fantasy elements in it. And,
3: Good.
5: and I mean, the whole, the whole thing, um, I, you know, i I, I do have to get into uh $6 million man and buy woman. I do need to watch those, you know, uh, give it up to Darth on those, but you, you look at the old Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers, I think that's maybe the worst example of TV science fiction. They, they were fun eye candy. There's really not much there. You you go to the new series. You go you go to Star Trek, and and I I have to say about Twilight Zone, I would never really classify that as a science fiction series. It goes more into the realms of fantasy and actually mora- morality tales in different areas. I-, I like what Dave said about Rome. Something that catches you is maybe maybe some of the interest of fantasy and science fiction. It's another time, another place. It's saying, what if? And that's what you're going to get with Game of Thrones or Rome or you know, uh, excellent series uh, on Showtime of of the Borgias with Jeremy Irons that, that's been on.
2: I suppose um, if I'd have brought older series up as well, I, I could have brought things out like the original Survivors or Quater Maths or some of the other programs like that. that, that has anybody that, that, that seen Tudors on Netflix? Say that again.
4: Tudors?
2: Tudors, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, was, I found it a bit difficult to watch the tubers, Tudors, and then I saw a few scenes that delighted my eye, and so yeah. I played with
5: it. Tudors is kind of like... Um Se- sexy Henry the Earth soap opera you know it it does what it intends to be it 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 won't replace keith michelle you know in in my memory
3: mm. uh
5: you know the classic, but you know it's it's here's henry he's hot he's sexy he's got wives you know um actually i think the the Tudors looks great, amazing production, and the guest stars when you'll have uh Max von Sydow and Peter O'Toole in there, that, re- that, really, uh, that really adds to it. That, that really adds to it. But uh, I think, and it's, and it's what Darth was saying, why Six Million Dollar Man and By It Won't Were So Good, it was about something. It was about characters. It wasn't about the trappings. And I think the best science fiction fantasy or genre, why do we remember, why do we like Highlander? Not because of people's heads being lopped off in lightning effects, but because we get involved with this character week by week, and the people around him, and his courage, and the way they're telling a story. You know, um, Forever Night was was another example. What? Why did Buffy? Oh, yeah. Why did Buffy get to us? It, it, it's not the plot of Buffy at all. It's it's the way Josh Whedon. Uh, puts words in people's mouths and, and make you care about these people, make you uh, laugh hysterically and make you weep with them. Oh, yeah.
2: Firefly as well. Just
5: yeah, Firefly would caring so much about it. And I, I think Star Trek, even though that was such a moving thing and so effective, loving it when it was a cult series and then seeing finally... Uh, the accessibility everyone had with Star Trek—it—it—it it, it, it wasn't just the trappings. It's—it's it's, those characters. They become part of uh, America they, and the world. They're icons. It, it, It's—you know—and I—I don't think you're going to replicate that with any new movie or anything because there, there's there was magic that won't be repeated in what happened with that series and because they were were telling stories about the human condition. And there was a lot of Star Trek that was hokey and pretty bad, you know. Um, But uh, it's something Darth said about Star Trek that I thought was so great, what Nick Meyer did, in that he made it seem like it was a Navy vessel, something that Roddenberry, I don't think, liked. He... He, he used the protocols and the attitudes of military on the enterprise made the uniforms look workable with the velcro and the snaps and the attitudes got away from the the bright colors and the the velour look and everything and i i think that uh that gave star trek so much of a serious bent that that also uh went into the next generation and further into the films. So, right. that that
4: was, you know. A question I have for Darth is if he likes hero-driven sci-fi, realistic sci-fi, why don't you like Blake 7? Because it's both those things in spades.
6: Well, I think I've explained this on several occasions. Well, there's stere-
2: but... there are stereotypes in that. They are, are cardboard <laughs> characters, even though I love it. I would say they are cardboard characters.
6: Well, yeah. my my main problem with like seven is that it, its grasp exceeds its reach in a much bigger way than Doctor Who because you know at least Doctor Who at the time had a mixture of episodes that were you know set on in the past and set or, or the current times and set in the future and so. You know, for every really bad set that you would get, such as, say, I don't know, um, uh, Horns of Naiman or something like that, you would, you know, have a, a, something like Image of the Findal, where it basically is set um, in environments that don't require any uh, particular inventiveness. And, and so, therefore, the show doesn't always look terrible. Blake Seven always, always, always looks terrible. Um, and I think that Blake Seven looked
2: tr- pretty good to me.
6: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see that at all. I don't. I don't there's not. A, there's not even attractive people in it. Period. Nobody. <laughs> Male, female. There's not. Uh, there's not a single attractive person Choking. in the entire thing. Um, so even on a superficial level You can't enjoy it But that's not at all why I would turn in to watch anything uh, The the big thing really is It betrays its um, pilot And becomes, you know Two or three different shows So it's really hard to say What is Blake Seven? You know, is it a show about um, You know, one person Rebelling against the government? Is it about a uh, show about A, um, a person who is only vaguely idealistic, doing things that only vaguely have something to do with uh, bringing down a, a hated government, or is it about well, you know a a series of people who are simply bandits, more or less? Well, um, after Blake's uh,
2: lead? not not because I don't want you to to, to go on a and not a program I like, but we are hopefully going to be talking about Blake Seven next week. Uh, if if you feel as though so you want to come on that particular one. I mean,
6: uh, oh, I didn't
2: even know that. So, but, but yeah, we yeah. announced, we talked about it right at the beginning of the show. I don't uh, think I was the, here. The, the, these are from the polls um, that people have, we put up on our Facebook page, and okay. this topic that we're doing today and next week's topic were picked by the people, the nearly two hundred members that post on the Facebook page, and that's why they've been chosen, not been chosen by. Ian and myself, but by by the people who not necessarily always come on the show, but listen to the show, and they voted on those. Um, so so that's the reasoning behind that. Um, and I, I would, one thing I'd just say about Blake's end, of course, is that I suppose with the uh, the lead character leaving halfway through, maybe because he was disappointed with the way it was going, we can discuss that again next week. So I'm I'm not cutting off for the, any other reason, Darth, than than to keep your powder dry for next week, if uh, if you're going to be here with us on that topic.
4: I didn't figure it would be with him, notoriously not liking Blake Seven.
2: Okay, but well, I mean, we do. do I mean, we do do news and so on. and it can most certainly, if not stay with the whole program, stay long enough to to make a comment. Um, um, but uh, I, I, I think mean, we ought
6: to hear from... <laughs> I was on the show we did on The Beast Below, so it's clear that I ah, do, well, do, well, do ten things that I don't like. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I just didn't know about, what was happening.
2: Right. Yeah, it, it was mentioned at the beginning of the recording. You were perhaps just drawn away from the, the
3: yeah.
2: PC at the time. Yeah. Okay, uh, I think we ought to just give Kobo a chance to start, because he's had a long wait. Uh, Mike is not on audio. Uh, Ian may not have a lot to say. I don't know, but... Uh, He'll want his chance soon. So let's go to Kobo and see what you want to mention, Kobo.
4: I figured I would focus more on the cartoony aspect because, let's face it, I'm a child of the first generation of Cartoon Network and um I love Birdman, I love Galaxy Trio, I love the Horquilloids. Um, of course I love the Jets and I love the Stones, but who doesn't? Huh. Um... And of course I love Twilight Zone, but Ken did a much more admirable, admirable job than I ever could of, uh, going into why we love... Toilet zone, so I don't feel I need to cover
2: that ground. Uh, yeah, I I would agree. Not not that you can't do it, but it, it, it may be more productive if you if you cover a different area.
4: Um, and a show that I'm surprised they didn't mention is because it's so wonderful and so indicative of the t- times was Wild Wild, Wild, Wild West, Wild is not strictly sci-fi fantasy it's also within the realms of James Bond which we've discussed at great length and so it loosely falls on the edge of a purview and I just love the show
2: do can't say I'm that familiar with it
4: it's a wonderful wonderful show um it's um James Bond mixed with a spaghetti Western is basically what, what it is.
2: Okay.
4: No particular episodes spring to mind at the moment, but I'm just very surprised. That Ken didn't mention something, because I know he loves that particular show.
5: Which one? And i
6: Wild Wild, Wild Wild West.
5: oh, ah, yes. It's not really science
6: fiction, though.
2: I, I think uh, Cobar actually mentioned that he didn't actually say, he said it isn't, but he still wanted to throw it in there. Yeah.
4: But it falls loosely within the same purview of James Bond, which we've discussed a great length well, I could Mr. say it Cova. has
5: some science fiction-y trappings, steampunk-y trappings almost, added to it.
3: Yeah.
4: The,
5: the, the villainous uh, designs of uh, Megalito Lovelace and all of that, you know, added to it. So, yeah. Thank you for mentioning it, Coba.
2: It's an alternate Wild Wild West, is it? <laughs> alternate reality one? Yeah.
4: Um, No, more so than Briscoe County and... Like Ken said, it's more steampunk than it is.
0: Yeah, it
2: says here on the IMDB page, two secret service agents, and and this is for listeners who are not familiar with it like myself, two secret service agents equipped with a wide array of gizmos work for the government in the Old West, uh, Wild Wild West, and um, I've got a feeling that that my, uh, the, the The person who wrote Warehouse 13 might be the fan of that because uh, there's a lot of uh, old-style gadgets in uh, Warehouse 13, which is not really part of our topic today because it's a a recent thing that um, some of the gadgets they use are very based in the 18th, 19th century.
4: Because Nikola Tesla is one of the people that founded Warehouse 13, but (coughs) I...
2: Okay. Any other any other ones that you wanted to mention or cover? If you want to take a break, Cobble, we can go to Ian. I'm assuming that the, that's just an audio issue that's happened. Ian, are you at your mic? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, well, just in case, uh, Kobo might jump back in, but he, if you'd like to just go in his absence.
1: Hey there, Kobo.
4: Yeah, I'm here, but okay. you can go next, Ian. Okay,
1: cool. Thank you, so,
4: Um
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's always a difficult thing for me because, I guess, you know, as I said before, um, New Zealand TV, when I was growing up, was uh, an interesting mix of uh, uh, of television. We got shows that were... Um, quite old, and I'm not entirely sure when they first, you know, got shown in New Zealand, because the longest time, of course, New Zealand only had one channel, and then we got two, and it wasn't until uh, the 90s that we got a third channel, Um, and even uh, Sky TV, which was uh, basically satellite TV, uh, was still very much in its infancy. It wasn't until uh, around uh, about 16 years ago when I was leaving the country that actually started adding in um, channels other than HBO, uh, ESPN, and I think there was one other channel, too. It was uh, um, one of the news channels. Um, So it's an interesting mix of TV that we got. Um, And and, and looking at the the, the Time Warp memories, which is a lovely site, actually, if you get a chance to go look at it, Um, a lot of the stuff I grew up watching are in here. Of course, I remember watching Star Trek, uh, the original series, On um, it usually showed on a Sunday, at least when I was growing up. Um, Whether it had an earlier run, I don't know, but uh, it was always on a Sunday. Uh, My fond memories, looking back at it now, it's not as fond. I don't tend to watch the classics so much. I'm more of a uh, next-generation guy. Um, But, you know, I'm always appreciative of it, too, because it's... Yeah, you know, everything's gonna have its starting point, and and the classic series was 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 it for for uh, my love of Star Trek. You know, um, I just find Shatner to be mildly annoying. <laughs> uh, I was a great fan of mildly.
3: <laughs>
2: mildly. Um, I- what can you possibly mean? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't oh.
5: knock like the shaft.
1: <laughs> I was I was I was always a big fan too of, of uh things like the Twilight Zone and <laughs> and, and um the Outer Limits uh, the original versions of course that's, which usually, you know, for some reason Saturday usually Sunday night is it Sunday afternoon was a great time for um things like this, Twilight Zone, um, uh, Lost in Space, um and and some of the for me the the, the, the classic movies as well. They had a you know, Sunday Matinee. Where they have things like uh, Time Machine and uh, The Island Earth and uh, you know, and all those to me classic science fiction movies, um, which I loved. You know, it made kind of staying in on a on a Sunday afternoon worthwhile. Of um, course, there was uh, The Land of the Giants, uh, which I remember watching a lot of, and of course all the the uh, uh, um, Thunderbirds and and uh, and Joe ninety, uh, they they used to get good airplay on that a Friday afternoon. Uh, normally, you know, it's the beginning of the weekend, and it was you get home in time to watch, you know, uh, Thunderbirds because that's when it played uh, about four thirty five o'clock in the afternoon, and it was fantastic. It didn't matter how old the stuff was because it, it just it, it just still still worked, um, and I remember my Friday evenings. Uh, normally on, on TV2 which was kind of more the entertainment channel in New Zealand at the time uh, TV1 was you get your news um, you'd get uh, Coronation Street and Close to Home which was a, a locally produced soap opera uh, you get all the documentaries and, uh, and news kind of stuff on Channel 1 Channel 2 was more the kind of uh, the young hip kind of channel which played all the the, the fun stuff uh, it played uh um Multi towers and uh, Monty Python and uh, uh, yeah, all the good entertaining stuff. Mork and Mindy, a huge fan of Mork and Mindy. Uh, would love to actually watch that from beginning to end. Come on, Netflix, make sure it's on there. Um, I mean, yeah. there's something just fantastic about that show. Uh, just a you know silly and wacky little sitcom. Um, kind of got a little. A little weird when, of course, they had uh, a baby. But, you know, a lot of shows, <laughs> that's when they tend to jump the shark. Um, but Jonathan Winters as Mirth, hey, <laughs> he was fantastic. Um, but, yeah, Friday nights were the classic home to, I think it was about 7 o'clock at night, with uh, The Incredible Hope, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Um, we used to go out on during the week or on, uh, on the weekends and... and, and Go grocery shopping with my mum, and we were allowed to get one, um, uh, one thing of sweets you know, or a candy bar or, or chocolate bar or something. You get one, you need to choose that, and that's what we had during our Friday night TV viewing. Um, you go get that, and, and, and you know Night Rider would start up or, or Incredible Hulk, just fantastic. And I remember watching actually um, the Incredible Hulk most of it from beginning to end when they played it on the Sci-Fi Channel not long after I moved. Uh, to the US um, I was working a second shift and so about it was like 11 o'clock it would be on and then I had to get to work by like uh 30 11 o'clock and so it was like I'd sit there eating my lunch and as soon as the credits rolled I had to get out the door um and looking back on it, some of it's a bit you know uh, formulaic which a lot of these shows tend to get that way um but when you're a kid, it it doesn't matter. It's like as long as he turns into the Hulk at some point during the show, you're happy. Um, and he always saves somebody, and Mr. McGee never catches him. And you know, of course, everybody remembers that one episode uh, where um, where he actually helps Mr. McGee. You know, I think uh, I think he, well, he breaks his leg or something. And, but anyway, um, and uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of other other shows that aren't listed on here. Um,
2: well, so, there is so, one. What, huh? A lady who spins around. Sure, you're going to talk oh, about her.
1: Oh, Wonder Woman, yes. Um, <laughs> one of the earliest childhood memories was of of, of, of of being in um, primary school. And I forget the standard one or whatever. Um, I remember actually uh, going behind a tree and spinning around. Yes. Uh, nobody else was playing with me. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> um <laughs> I loved Wonder Woman um, uh, uh, probably uh, pretty much because of Linda Carter um, with the exception of my wife of course uh, I have to say one of the most attractive women in the universe um, she's just stunningly beautiful but still is uh, and that's to me one of the things that just made that show uh, uh, the way she portrayed Wonder Woman um it's just one of those things. That's, it's just really kind of unforgettable. Is um, I think you know, if if you watch that show, you, you have great memories of it. Some of the stuff's a little. I've got both seasons on DVD, and some of it's a little on the cheesy side. But still, it's Linda Carter and oh yeah.
3: <laughs> it's
1: good going stuff.
4: back to Birdman. Speaking of. Um, <laughs> things are ultimately cheesy but you have fond memories of them as a child mm-hmm. that is just the ultimate I tried to watch it the other day and I could not watch it mm-hmm. but I have these wonderful memories you know as a 7, 8, 9 year old kid just loving the heck out of the show and
5: oh come on do his roar
4: Oh, uh, no. No. <laughs>
5: okay. Mm-hmm. Birdman! Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I, really, I have no shame. I have no shame. I like it <laughs> Do you like the Herculoids too? Herculanda?
4: I love Herculoids.
5: Okay. All right. I
4: love Herculoids. Okay.
5: Have you ever seen Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law?
4: <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. I only- I what own did, the game for the PS3 actually.
5: Okay, that is brilliant. That's brilliant. Um
4: and for Mike who's probably still in the room, um it's done on the Phoenix Wright game engine. So it's very well done. Um
5: something Ian said about the Wonder Woman, but Linda Carter mm-hmm. it wasn't well, of course she's beautiful, but it's she believed and loved that character so much, that's I think why we loved her. There there was this honesty and integrity that just came off the screen and I think the show was better in the forties than when they modernized it. But there's there's something I don't see how they can do a Wonder Woman movie or anything, anyone that can match her.
1: I, I mean, I, I, I seriously, I mean, I watched uh, the 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 leaked uh, pilot that they did, of the series, and while it wasn't bad, it was never going to be Wonder Woman. Um, yeah. It's one of the things, I, I, I still have a hard time accepting anybody as Superman other than Christopher Reeve, because she yeah. just embodied that character, and while I did like... Um, the new adventures of Lois Clark that was fun uh, but still he wasn't to me he wasn't Superman um,
2: uh, she was good Lewis, but, uh, Lois though wasn't she yeah. like Gary Hatcher
1: yeah she was yeah. Um, some of the other classics that I remember are The Invisible Man um, the great show I, just, I don't know <laughs> how fun that was the, 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 yeah. the
2: David McCallum version oh, you mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I remember that um, also, uh, The Man for Uncle. I mean, all these things. Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's, New Zealand, for me, growing up, is, 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 is the great place because a lot of these things got a lot of airtime, um, I guess, just because it was it was a lot cheaper, I guess, for, for uh, New Zealand to buy older shows and just show them. I mean, a lot of these shows, like uh, Get Smart and things like that, got a lot of airtime on Saturday morning TV. They play the cartoons in the morning like the Smurfs and, and Thundercats and things like that and then in between that and like 2 o'clock you'd get Hogan's Heroes you'd get Get Smart you get the Indus man you get the man from Uncle you know all these things got great airplay and so you know um, I just remember like it, it's 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 almost along the lines of if, uh, my musical education having uh, two older brothers um, a lot of my musical uh, influences came from them you know because I Listen to the same music that they did uh, growing up, and so you know you, you end up with this kind of cross culture of of of, of interests. Um, and of course, I, I you know I've got to say Doctor Who because you know uh, weekdays round dinner time, Dad had just got done watching. Oh no, just before the news, so you, you know got to sit down, eat dinner, watch Doctor Who, and then Dad got to watch the news. Um, you know uh, nothing better, especially on in the middle of winter. Um, this is more, more more about my growing up than it is about what, what's classic uh, <laughs> science fiction TV or not. But, um, yeah, these things just occupy a, a special place in my heart because they were all on growing up regardless of you know, when they were made. Um, it's often funny for me to look at these and, and, and see when they originally came out and go, wow, I was quite lucky, I guess, to uh, to have seen these. Um, when I did, uh, because probably a lot of the times there were you know, reruns late at night, you know, probably on on, on US TV. Um, yeah, Six Million Dollar Man as well. That was another one on those Friday night shows. That you know, and like I was saying, uh, uh, the brilliant part of Six Million Dollar Man was um, creating this character that could easily be imitated on the playground. Didn't matter how how far down you jumped off the playground, as long as you were going, it didn't matter. You could play Steve Austin, easy. Um, just one of those easily replicated things that you don't know whether. I mean, I still don't know. Darth may may know whether it was just because of the the you know the budget or whether somebody was actually smart enough to think, well, let's create a character that can. Be easily mimicked on the playground, and therefore,
5: you know, the popularity just soars. But it's nice. It was nice making him an astronaut. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh, that's man, some. Man, that's man. something that that bothers me in versions of Flash Gordon, whether it's the movie or that that wretched sci-fi series. <laughs> it would make sense, like in Farscape. But Flash Gordon would be in the Air Force or an astronaut and maybe slash scientist, somebody who would be attuned to being already heroic in nature, not just a football player or, or, or somebody who is just has a nickname Flash because he plays hockey or something or, or just his...
4: But that harkens back to the original serials. I'm not sticking up for the abominable sci-fi series, but it does yeah. have presence in the original Yeah, but he, but
5: he was the son of a great scientist. So I, I, I think that, you know, Professor Gordon. So I, I think that that kind of gives it... And when it takes place too. He probably did his army duty, and he probably served already. Or you know, you know. So I I, I think it just time's changing, but I I think that's a really nice thing that they did. Hmm. You know, if you're going to do that, because I don't know, growing up, to me maybe the greatest hero that could be was an astronaut. You know, wow. Right. Wasn't. But wasn't of course, much,
4: this what, was in the '50s, '60s. Yeah the moon race and all that was going
1: on yeah go ahead. yeah so those are a few of mine um, just you know there's uh, I think when you've got shows like that some some of them don't pay revisiting I mean I bought um, the first series of uh, of Knight Rider on DVD and didn't go any further uh, I mean I, I'm glad I have it because I've got the the, the, the first episode you know, basically the TV movie which is a great thing to be able to watch. It's not bad, actually. Um, but
4: and it's also available on Netflix again.
1: Yeah, it is. That is another reason why I'm glad. Uh, there's so many things I've actually got that I know I wish I hadn't got because, you know. Um, but Stargate, my DVDs have been watched a lot. Um, but you know, looking back on some of these shows, they, they do tend to, unfortunately, fall into this. Um, our Hero Rides Into Town, uh, Damsel in Distress, you know, bad guys, you know, get come up and and then leave again. Uh, you know, it's uh, unfortunate that, um, you know, once the hook's in, uh, you tune in for a talking car. You know, I mean, nobody really talked... Uh, big ladies might have turned and tuned in for for David Hasselhoff. I don't know, but uh, I know I wanted to be David Hasselhoff, only because he had a talking car. <laughs> it wasn't because of all the things he could do. It was the fact that he had a talking car at his disposal, uh, who could do all these fantastic things? Um, oh, the many, many hours I spent talking to my bicycle on the way home from school. It's a bicycle. But I mean, it, it it's like you know, uh, you know, it's it's again, it's one of those things that's easily replicated. You can you can play with a, a, a you know, a little toy car and pretend it, it talks. You know, you can um, you know your bike, you know, it can now talk. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the, these classic sci-fi shows. Um, and the, the, one, the one last thing I'll put that's it's, um, it's, uh, interesting is, is Lost in Space holds a very, very, very special place in my heart, um, mainly because I lost my virginity watching it. Um,
2: <laughs> you lost what? It was on in the background. My virginity. <laughs> what planet is that? <laughs>
1: hey, hey, hey! <laughs> but yes, um, so that's 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 me done.
2: John, <laughs> well, I should think so, Mister. Uh, well, uh, uh, well done. <laughs> uh, well done. We we probably need to finish sooner, uh, so I'll, I'll I'll be fairly brief. Um, I mentioned yeah, a couple i uh, uh,
1: Have uh, you heard me? the dinosaurs? Did you watched
2: um uh, cuz we we have heard from people some of the UK ones uh, UFO and space 1999 and so on uh but just to mention again that you know there there, there were things like Quatermass mass uh, going on uh although they were they were not that frequent uh but that's going back to I suppose the 70s um we had the the early, uh, survive, um survivors uh, what else um well, a lot, a lot of great things. Ken covered some great things with uh, Twilight Zone. I liked uh, the Time Tunnel. Um, uh, I, I, and I, I'd, I'd almost forgotten the Outer Limits that uh, Darth mentioned, so I'm pleased you mentioned that. I'll have to look out a little bit so if we can catch some of those episodes. Uh, Doctor Who, of course, has uh, been a mainstay all the way through all of those years. Um, I mean, uh, you've been blissfully... Uh, helped here by, uh, as I said, I've hardly played any clips here at the moment, and I think the length we've gone probably won't. Uh, and I don't really want to start getting into newer ones, but yeah, I mean, all the way through from uh, uh, like the Flash, and there was the Omega Man, and uh, uh, what was the other one, that, the bloke from um, Dallas, that uh, was it Aquaman or something he became, something like that? The original one? Um, not, not,
1: man from Atlantis.
2: Man from Atlantis, yeah.
1: How many um, times I was swimming underwater pretending I was him.
2: Yeah. not that um, uh The Invisible Man you mentioned, the David McCallum one. Um, oh, lo- lots and lots of things, really. Um, it's very difficult to know. I don't really want to start talking about newer ones, but I mean, even things like Goodnight Sweetheart, which were on, you know, I suppose 20 years ago now when they first started. Um, a one-off uh, science fiction I remember was called The Flip Side of Don and Me, Hyde which was like a, a, a two-part story and I think it came back with another one there were lots of little one-off ones like that um, Tales of the Unexpected you can't really call those as they were more towards horror I suppose than sci-fi but they did have one or two episodes that were a little bit like um, you know uh, a little bit sci-fi fantasy type of shows. So, I, I think I'm going to be not very eloquent now, and uh, as I normally am, of course, uh, and just basically... Oh, oh, just mention one. Uh, I don't know whether it's too new to mention on this, but um, I, I was a great fan, of course, of uh, the tripods, um, which, uh, of course, they never finished, which really annoyed the heck very out of me. Very good show. Yeah. Um, and, of course, next week, uh, we will be talking about... Uh, Another one, of course, which is Blake Seven. So, I, I think due to the time that we're up against Ian, um, I'll probably finish on that and hand back to you to see if anybody wants to make any other comments.
1: Okay. Um, one I did forget to mention, of course, was uh, Be watched um, Oh, yeah. Oh, the, uh, that, that was usually on during the week, uh, and you don't um, like midday, so I only really got to see it uh, during school holidays, but uh, Elizabeth Montgomery.
2: <laughs> Love to be watched. Love to be watched.
3: Which there?
2: Tomorrow People. Do you mention the Tomorrow People? Wasn't an that oh, one the you liked? Tomorrow
1: like. People. Oh, yes. The Tomorrow People. Fantastic show. And um, Chucky.
2: Chucky. I don't the know
1: it was. Chucky. The wonderful thing about the, the Tomorrow People is a lot of the. Um, I've seen it in a, at least uh, two. Um, library collections in um, in the U.S. So um, when, when I was up in Minnesota, I think they had it. Um, they had VHS. So but um, now the, 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 my local library has it on, uh, on DVD.
5: Um, oh, Dave, DVD. there's a series that I'd heard about that I've never seen. I think it was called, it's a series of books, and I think the series has been done more than once, The Fabulous Five, or... Oh yes. Famous Five. Famous Five.
2: Gary Gary Russell in the Famous Five.
1: Gary Russell was no. in yeah, that. But they, were, they were they were turned into TV other uh, TV movies I think or
2: Yeah, I know but it yeah. wasn't science fiction. The,
5: but let me think. Uh, Gary Russell uh, Russell uh Doctor Who writer producer.
2: Right. When they he was a them child a actor was it. in that. Yeah. Oh. But well, but they then did them with uh, some adults in them as a as but they were send up ones. Oh okay. But, um, um I'm if you put in uh,
1: to the to the chat Sapphire and Steel which uh I oh,
2: of course, introduced
1: yeah. uh um Very Perry. Good not here today. I've introduced Perry to it so uh he he watched the first episode uh of the their first mission and uh he's looking forward to seeing more so
3: it's a great show. It's a great show. One that I hope they never remake.
1: <laughs> right. I'll quickly run
3: the room. See if anybody's if if anything else has occurred to anyone else. Darth. Oh, there is.
1: Nope. Uh. Oh, Ken. Ken, anything else that occurred to you?
5: Um. No. One? Um. I I liked that that Dave mentioned uh, Mass. I grew up enjoying Quatermass just in the in the movie form from the Hammer films, and uh, Quatermass in the Pit. Years later, I saw them. I I read that uh, that the newly found uh, Hammer Studios um, that they're going to be uh, bringing Quatermass back. That they're planning to do that. Be interesting to see uh, what what they do with the property.
1: Didn't they do a, a, um, a remake of, of, of one of the movies?
5: About Did anybody know
4: who has the rights to the Rod Sterling stories and all that?
5: Um, I, I'm i assuming that goes back to MGM, um, Viacom, for the rights, or might be his estate. I, I hope they never, uh, you know... The last series of Twilight Zone, like I mentioned, that was not very successful. So I think that's probably a done deal on anyone trying to bring back uh, something called Twilight Zone. But I I do rec I do recommend very much the the one that Phil deguerre and then Straczynski uh, worked on in the 80s. You had some very good work by a bunch of different authors, including Harlan, Harlan Ellison, who was script editor of that. And you had adaptations of his story Shatterday and Crazier Than a Soup Sandwich and some good uh, Ray Bradbury stories. Um, very, very good directors. So William Friedkin uh, did some direction work on that. And, um, you know... Really worth looking into. Very different from the Serling series, but they paid homage to it. And interestingly enough, the reworking of the Twilight Zone theme uh, was done by uh, by the Grateful Dead. Uh, interestingly
2: Interesting.
5: enough. Interesting. Yeah, but I just it, it, that. Mm, Sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry.
2: I was saying I just found that the that Quatermass remake on the way. Uh, the the last thing is dated. March 2010, okay. that there was going to be one. So it, it's fallen somewhere, I think.
5: Yeah. But no, um, we could go on. I, I think with this this topic of all these but goodies into a part two, three, and four sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you now for all of us.
4: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd love to get just taken all of this too.
2: Hmm. Well, uh, what what we'll do—anybody who wasn't on audio today, uh, probably on next week's show—they can—they can can have uh, time to to cover it. May well be they will have listened to this recording by then. All right. Well, time to wrap up uh, uh,
1: to avoid uh, me in uh, divorce uh, proceedings. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd like to thank everybody for coming along today. Uh, I had a good. Good old Natter about uh, um, some some great shows. Um, hope you all I enjoyed think your Ken
4: time. was the star of the show, though.
1: Oh, yeah. You're too nice. We can always rely on Ken's memory. Thank you. <laughs> He's got such a romantic memory about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but until next week when we'll be uh, launching off into Blake 7. So if you were a fan of Blake 7. Uh, be sure to join us especially on audio we always welcome people on audio Um, if you have any uh, questions about getting on audio um, stop by our Facebook page um, and uh, Dave will also tell you in a minute how you can get some other help about uh, getting involved on TalkShoe and uh, dialing into the show Dave
2: yeah we're here every uh, Sunday at 2pm Eastern Standard Time the call ID is 54821 you're most welcome to come in If you're uh, in the United States, the number to call in is 724-444-7444. If you're outside the United States, you need the uh, one in front of that to pick out states. You can uh, use some sort of uh, VoIP uh, client like uh, uh, Xlight or SJ Phone or whatever to come in using um, at 66.212.134. dot one nine two, and uh, we will be glad to have you. Remember, we've got a Facebook account, so just put it in uh, the cult collective in Facebook, and you'll find us. If you're on uh, Google Plus, we've got a a, a Google Plus page, and our blog is at WordPress. Well, it's at com because we have our own domain name for that. And one last one: our Twitter feed is culton.
1: Right. Oh, one thing I did forget to mention was uh, Phoenix and the Magic Carpet, which I guess they've remade uh, recently, but of course it's based on the books. Um, but uh, that was a great series, too, when I was growing up. An uh, uh, episodic kind of breakdown of Phoenix and the Magic Carpet. So,
3: love that. All
1: right. That's enough. <laughs> Time to close it up, and we shall see you all next week. Until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave A.C.
2: It's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. back.